guys, and welcome back to Schlock and Awe, the double feature podcast that celebrates all movies from the sublime to the suspicious. As always, I'm Lindsay Wilkins, and this week we are looking into alternative dystopic future, or maybe just the inevitable, with a double of Daleks Invasion Earth 2050 AD, the Doctor is in the house, and also Hardware from 1990. And with me is the host of the fantastic uh, Action Addicts podcast, which it, we'll get into it. Um, of course, so it is the Action Addict himself. It is Scott Wiley. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Lindsay. Uh, uh, it's going all right. Thank you for asking me to come. No, thank you so much for coming on. And so thank you so much for suggesting uh, this this double. I think it started because you were watching something Doctor Who-ish and I just remarked, oh, I think I like that episode or that Doctor. I can't quite remember. Anyway, it spiraled, it, it spiraled into this conversation for this episode. I'm very looking forward to it. Uh, I, I think from memory, I watched the first Peter Cushing Doctor Who film, just Doctor Who and the Daleks. Mm put it on Twitter and I think you were one of the few people that was actually interested and I was like oh good there, there is someone on my Twitter feed that uh, isn't just all about action films and then I think I said that that put me in a Doctor Who mood and I watched a bunch of other Dalek themed episodes from around that time period and then I think one of us was talking about this in our DMs and then I said about this film mm. it's like well it's a shame we don't have anything to pair it with and then I suddenly out and out of the blue I suddenly thought of hardware yeah <laughs> Which I thank you for that, because now I have hardware in my life when I, I think I sort of said, oh, I think I've seen that movie. And I watched it and I went, oh, no, I have never seen this movie. Uh, because, yeah, I've been keep meaning to watch uh, the Cushing Doctor Who movies is because we're Cushing. Peter Cushing is one of my favorite actors. Uh, he's one of the secret badasses of the 1960s uh, with yes. his, uh, his Hammer Horror films and playing Van Helsing. So this was, um, I was like, yes, I get to finally and finally got an excuse to watch one of these movies. And I had a blast, as we'll get into. But first, uh, Action Addicts feels like it's been going strength to strength lately. I mean, you've just been like upping the ante almost every time you uh, put an episode out. Thank you. I try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it is going from strength to strength. Uh, I'd be lying if I said behind the scenes, it hasn't been a bit of a struggle and chaos to try and keep it going. But um, I'm very happy that people seem to be liking the stuff we're putting out. And as you, uh, as I assume you were uh, referring to them, we recently had Lauren Avedon on, which was uh, an absolute delight. Um, I am hoping to continue doing stuff like that obviously that's more on other people than it mm. is me but we'll we'll see what the future holds <laughs> no it was uh really cool to see because uh, it is you've been doing it for about a year maybe a little just over a year now uh less than a year less than a year it, it, the the episode started going out in january mm. i started recording them end of last year mm. um we I've obviously had a few periods where the episodes haven't been going out consistently, but yeah, overall, it's been a probably eight, nine months. No, they've been going really, really good. And yeah, the fact that you had uh, Lauren um, Avidon, I can't pronounce the name, talking about no retreat, no surrender, which of course, as soon as I saw that, I think I even messaged... Um, uh super marcy or marcy as she's known yeah. but oh yeah who has also been on your show i'm pretty am i remembering yes. that yes going oh look what's on she's like ah oh, so good and yes and she got very uh, she loved the episode as well so <laughs> hi marcy <laughs> <laughs> hi marcy how's it going um so yeah i've been it's anything else coming out special that you want to plug before we get into it or do, do you want to jump right into some um daleks 
uh, yeah, let's let's just go into the Daleks because at the moment, um, as some people who listen to my show will know, I'm getting married soon. So at the moment, I have absolutely no idea what the release schedule is realistically going to be like. I know what I'd like it to be like, but I can't <laughs> promise it. No, getting married is a big, big deal. So congratulations. Um, but yeah, that is a huge thing, and and not surprising that. You know, you've been a bit too busy with life and good things in life. So that is excellent. Um, but we're going to get into invade, uh, Daleks Invasion Earth tw- 2050. Scott, as I always like to imagine, we're sitting in a the movie theater. Curtains are opening. Actually, this did play at the Astor in Melbourne recently. I was really annoyed. I couldn't actually go see, see this. But if we were going to pick a tra- if you were going to pick a trailer uh, for this movie, what would it be? That's a good question. Mm. As a, uh, we were talking off air, and I said I struggled to come mm. up with other trailers for this, um, but I think uh, a good pick for this one would be Children of Men, just because it has a lot of similar themes, if perhaps very, very different execution. <laughs> I can't really remember when I last had any hope, and I certainly can't remember when anyone else did either. Hello, Theo. How have you been? I'm sorry about the theatrics. Police have been a pain lately. I haven't seen you for nearly 20 years. Need your help. Not for me, a girl. Need to get her to the coast, past security checkpoints. It's hard for me to look at you. He had your eyes. So why did you come to me? I trust you. Show him. I know it's at stake. Very different ex- uh, execution. Um, I don't know. There's something about when Britain just wants to do, I mean, and this is fully a Mexican director. Uh, now I'm blanking on his name. That's really annoying. Anyway, I'm um, very good director of <laughs> Children of Men. But there's something when a Brit, uh, when um, the Brits want to do an apocalyptic movie, they really go into it. I don't know. There's something a bit more terrifying <laughs> than a British apocalyptic uh, dystopian apocalyptic movie than it is say an american one yeah no i i agree um even though we're we're, we're talking about daleks the one mm-hmm. thought i have when i rewatched or watched both of these films is that you can feel that they come from both a different period in time but also that they came from the minds of the uk yes um i don't quite know how to how to explain it without going on a really long rant but uh, especially with hardware, which we'll get into later, but mm. you can feel the bits that w- that came from England versus the bits that didn't. You really, really can. I don't know if it's just a British thing that to be. Um, well, no, I, I have seen threads, so maybe the end of the world is just more. <laughs> um yeah a trailer i would have considered for either of these movies if i just didn't want to depress the hell out of people um but no this is and this is just a really good movie it is by alfonso uh curion uh who is that really just a fantastic director and it's just one of those movies that just really works it's it's such a complete well-done movie and the cast is i'm just looking at the cast now forgot who was actually in this it's insane i mean you've got clive owen and julianne moore but of course michael caine because you have to. Um, yep. Chai Wattel Ijafor, which I'm probably uh, mispronouncing. Um, Charlie Hummin, hum, Hummin, I'm mispronouncing. Danny Houston. I don't know. It's just one of those movies that you watch and just go, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it, it has some really inventive 
action scenes as well, um, mm. which is not something I can necessarily say for this film. But it, it <laughs> like you say, it the the, <laughs> the 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 actual films themselves have a lot in common. They they really do. Um, well, for my first trailer, I'm not going necessarily apocalyptic, but I am going for one of my uh, favorite British science fiction movies, science fiction movies, and that is of course uh, *Quite a Mass in the Pit*, uh, 1967, mainly because of my boy um, Andrew Kerr, who was also in in, in *Daleks*. Get back! Who were they running from? What have they seen? Whom do they fear? There are five million answers to these questions, and every one of them is a shocker. It was what I was afraid of. The thing got a huge intake of energy. The very substance of it seemed to be coming alive. And you can't see this world any longer. They feel it. They see it. The archaeologist who digs back into the past to unearth more horror than the human mind can bear. This is a really great movie. If you've never seen it, it's kind of just this really great uh, movie. It starts off, they're in a subway, they're digging, and they find something basically buried under the, the subway. And it turns out, and you kind of go from there. Um, once I watched it, I realized how many other movies had riffed on this including a certain X-Files movie and also even, um, I don't know, you might pick this, um, a, a dragon movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is such a great movie. And again, it goes harder than you think it's going to go. Yeah, I'll be honest. I can't really offer you much comment mm. there because I haven't seen it. Um, I have heard of it, but mm. that's that's as far as I've got. There's a lot of films like that. Um, I have this conversation with a few people where uh, people assume that I've seen lots of films and it's like, I have. But I've seen everything. <laughs> no, it's, here's the thing: it's impossible to see everything. And sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. Um, and that's okay. And then you will get to a time when you actually get to watch Quarter Mass in the Pit, and go, "Oh wow, that was a really good movie." <laughs> um, oh, you might not, but most people do. I don't know. I I really do love this movie. So if you have never seen it, please check it out again. Another yeah, British movie in the '60s that goes way harder than you think it's uh, going to. And in saying that, do you have a second trailer? Um, I do. I, I you you mentioned the dragon mm. movie, and obviously, like I said, we were talking. So, Rain, Rain of Fire was one that I was considering. Yeah. But the more I was just thinking about it, and the more we were talking, I actually think yeah, uh, uh, what the one I would actually play is the original War of the Worlds movie that uh, the Americans made. This could be the beginning of the end for the human race. For what men first thought were meteors or the often ridiculed flying saucers are in reality the flaming vanguard of the invasion from Mars. Looks like they're going to come out of that gully pretty soon. We'll have to rush our defenses to be ready when they do. The guards need plenty of reinforcements. We'll get them. Lieutenant! Look! They slash across country like scythes wiping out everything that's trying to get away from them. That explains why communication is cut the moment their machines begin moving. Montreal's blacked out. Nothing more has come through. Same thing that happened on the Pacific Coast. Anything from them yet? No, Mr. Secretary, we've had nothing from San Francisco for over five hours. The nations of the world mobilize their armed might, rushing to defend the Earth against the unknown weapons of the super race from the Red Planet. 
Yes, I actually, I actually, I don't think I've seen the original. I know I've definitely seen the Spielberg one with Tom Cruise, uh, but I have never seen the original. I keep meaning to. It's been on my list for quite a while to watch. As a as an adaptation of the book, it's not good. Mm. Uh, but as a as just a, a generic alien invasion movie that borrows some of the same themes from the yeah. book, it's it's good. I mean, the, the the main difference being is that you know they just kind of attack with spaceships. The walkers are nowhere to be seen, which is kind of the whole iconic thing of War of the Worlds. It really but, is. Mm. But you know, I I get why they didn't do that. They, you know, they're very difficult to reproduce in live action, and this <laughs> especially one... when that film was made. Yeah, I was gonna say this is the fifties, isn't it? But yeah, that is another. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that's another movie you can see the DNA throughout. I mean, Independence Day. Um, uses all well, it uses the ending, except it's a computer virus instead of the flu. But it's still mm-hmm. the premise is still still there. And of course, Spielberg remade it in two thousand five and turned it into a nine eleven parable. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I'll be honest. I don't actually like either of the War mm. of the Worlds films very much, but I do think that there's there's a charm in retrospect with the original that would pair nicely with this because they're both old school sci-fi so you have that retro aesthetic of what they thought the vision of the future may or may not be whether you're talking about aliens or just sci-fi sets or whatever it might be yeah you're you're absolutely right with that it's and especially as we get into my trailer how well world war ii absolutely affected how they saw the future just because they did see Firestorm. So yeah, my second trailer is going to be a a TV movie and that is Fatherland from 1994, another book adaption actually. This April, a tense, terrifying, terrific thriller will rewrite video history. And it's as good as any feature film thriller around these days. I have a story that will make you famous. What if the biggest secret of the war Thousands have been killed and protected. Adolf Hitler. Had won World War II. Nothing will be the same again. Not for you, not for anybody. And concealed from the world. What did you do? We put them in cattle cars and shipped them east. The most unspeakable crime of the 20th century resettle them in the air from thomas harris's book of the same name the what if the nazis won and had in fact invaded the uk it stars uh Rutger hauer and um miranda richardson i haven't actually seen this movie since i was a kid but when i was watching uh daleks and just kind of their view of britain which is just all this bombed out kind of thing i went oh yeah Blitz. And then I went, hang on, there's a TV movie with it. I'm sure I've seen this. And going back, I found kind of a trailer and I went, oh yeah, I do remember this. Cause it all hinges on the fact that the Nazis want to have an alliance, try to make an alliance with the States so they can beat Russia. And unfortunately a little rumor coming out of Eastern Europe is um, well, not a little rumor, it's the Holocaust is might be, is becoming uncovered. And it's kind of an interesting idea of what they would cover up if they won, but it's it's very mid nineties. It's very um, TV movie esque, but the cast is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, 
it's I don't know I kind of miss those old school days of just watching a tv movie over two nights and it was just sometimes you'd see the wilder stuff and like someone actually put this on television huh but with that we're going to well it's kind of a actually we're just getting into it we're going to go do Daleks in Asian Earth 2050. This is 2150 AD the year when human beings are turned into living dead men robo men the underground slaves of the world's new dictators. Twenty-one fifty A.D., a year that will thrill you and terrify you. A year of rebellion as a brave handful hold out in a last-ditch battle for human survival. Attention, resist, and you will be exterminated. Leading the resistance fighters is Peter Cushing, his most thrill-making role. Come along. Aided by Bernard Cribbins, a reluctant traveller. Have you seen the girl? This way's the girl! Ray Brooks, the boy with the knack. Now, Scott, apart from being an action addict, you are also a huge science fiction fan and also manga and all that glorious stuff that I sometimes find a little impenetrable, except for moments from Doctor Who. Um, You watched it as a kid like most other people, or did you come to it when they rebooted it in the early 2000s? Uh... Doctor Who, I have been watching since I was a kid. Um, I watched the John Pertwee era all the way through till Sylvester McCoy. Oh, wow. Um, As many of the episodes that were available, they used to, basically they repeated them on a channel that doesn't exist anymore. um, And they used to to stitch all the episodes together in omnibuses so Mm. that instead of having to watch like half hour episode and then when's the next one, they put all of the connecting episodes together in one like two hour thing. Mm. And we used to, <laughs> to show you how old they got, this was, we used to record them on VHS <laughs> so that we had them. And uh, no one had any issues with that. But also I watched these films, uh, both the Peter Cushing films when I was a kid as well, because uh, my granddad had them. Oh, that is so, so cool. Um, I also kind of grew up with uh, Doctor Who. It was... Um... Now I'm just trying to pick up the list of all the doctors. I sort of remember watching um, a lot of the Tom Baker, Tom, yeah, Petrie um, kind of ones. And it's, yeah, it's something that was always on the background because as soon as that iconic theme song started to hit, it was, oh, okay, it's the Doctor Who. And it was one of those shows that used to terrify me and um, enthrall me in equal measure especially what we'll get into Daleks they terrified me until my brother showed me a skit on tv which I would have used as a trailer if it wasn't it's actually more racist <laughs> um it was a Spike Milligan I know skit. what skit you're talking yes. about yeah yes I was going to show it I watched it on YouTube and went why do the Daleks have to be Pakistan I don't understand couldn't they just be what are you doing yeah British sitcom the humor in the in the 70s was incredibly um yikes sometime and i'm a huge spike milligan fan um but yeah i was going to show that it is it is kind of adorable as in the fact that the daleks are basically just like going destroy to a cup of tea but yeah and so and then i and then the whole thing of comics when they were talking about it would always say well a dalek can't go upstairs they're not that terrifying which i know they made a point of rectifying when they rebooted the show um fun fact yeah um the daleks uh 
because a lot of people say that 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 the reboot fixed that. Yeah. But actually, the Daleks could do that in Sylvester McCoy's era. They invented Daleks floating, floating. and they did that whole that whole sequence of a Dalek coming up the scare the stairs, terrifying you before the two thousand five. Yes. And it just because the Sylvester McCoy era is not remembered fondly shall we say a lot of people a have never seen it and b the ones that have don't exactly want to go to bat for it which is a shame that i did not know because i just remember where i was at a friend's place just we were just watching it and then all of a sudden i'm like oh daleks and we made the joke of course because daleks can't go upstairs next thing i know it hovers and both of them i just went fuck because the daleks (laughs) are intrinsically a terrifying creature because they're just robots who are out to destroy but are still very intelligent so the fact that they had a small weakness always was helpful when they take that away you're like oh crap (laughs) they can get you wherever now (laughs) i can't just go up a flight of stairs it's funny you say that because um my dad and i have had this discussion a lot about the Daleks used to be scary and they were scarier when they had weaknesses and now that they essentially made them indestructible like they are completely Mm. undefeatable it took away their scare factor Mm. because well there's nothing you can do there isn't any way you can really make them menacing because they're going to lose because if they win that's the end of the show Mm. so it just the, the way they lose is always down to their stupidity and it's like it's hard to be scared of indestructible flying jet fighters which is what they turned into um because well they're gonna lose but there's no way to fight back you know it's like yep they're gonna massacre everyone but they'll inevitably lose oh yes. no you yes. know <laughs> which pretty much happens in uh this movie when i think doctor who just out logics them in a way like he sort of goes oh you have because the whole point of dalek's invasion is that they have no um weaknesses which they keep saying throughout the movie and i'm just like but that one you just threw down the ramp that that's their weakness they can't they've got no breaks apparently um which is my favorite moment in the movie you can almost hear him go down the thing (laughs) um but they keep sort of saying oh they have no weaknesses we're completely um outnumbered and it's doctor who goes in and just kind of out logics them and they're like okay now screw you we're buggering off there's a more that happens to that but that was kind of the sense i always when i when i watched it that i got is that doctor who just yeah because he if doctor well cushing's doctor who is logical to a fault and when i didn't actually realize going in that this was still the william hartnell who yeah technically um because everyone who knows doctor who knows that he can regenerate or doctor who can regenerate whenever the actor wants to leave the show these movies were still made when the first Doctor, so they hadn't even thought about this regeneration thing. So I was sort of going, wait, Doctor Who has a niece? What? And then I went, wait a minute, he's still playing Hartnell. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, the, both of these Peter Cushing films are essentially just feature film versions of Doctor Who stories yes. from William Hartnell's run. Um, and yeah, they, they did give him more of a family in this film because they changed the fact that he was from Gallifrey to just being an old man on earth who invents the TARDIS um so that alone makes it completely different Mm. to the tv show yeah I love actually I love the beginning of this movie because even though it's a sequel so it kind of really hits the ground running but it feels like an episode of the show you have essentially the constable Tom um played by Barry Cribbins kind of trying to thought uh robbery but then gets kind of stuck in the TARDIS and therefore has to go on a completely separate adventure. It does actually feel very true to what the show is. It does. 
And uh, sorry to correct you, but it's Bernard Cribbins. Bernard Cribbins, sorry. The legend that is Bernard Cribbins. Um, if anyone, well, when don't I get things wrong on this on this on this show? <laughs> Uh, it's funny because um, aside from the fact that I, I'm a big fan of Bernard Cribbers anyway, I have yeah. one of his albums somewhere of his comedy music. Oh, I forgot he did. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, 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 him being in this at the time he was in this would have been a big deal back then. Like mm. on the poster, his name is right after Peter Cushing's for a reason, obviously. It is, yeah. Um, but but also I think. A lot of people, when they hear Bernard Cribbins and they're thinking that we're talking about Doctor Who, they're not thinking about this. They're thinking about many, many years later when he returned in the reboot show to play Donna's grandfather. Yes, and that was the Titanic episode from memory? Uh, I don't think he's in the Titanic episode. He might be. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But he yeah. comes in with Catherine Tate's Donna and he's the guy looking up at the telescope. But I, I think you're right. I'm pretty sure he was in it before then. I couldn't tell you which episode. <laughs> I don't know. They all sort of blur in together. Um, so, yeah, because well, after I watched this movie, the first thing I did was went and watch uh, Blink, which was a David Tennant episode where they introduced the Weeping Angels, who I were called yeah. the Stone Angels for years. I didn't know what they were called. They were just those... Because going back to the idea that Daleks are just so omnipotent that you can't destroy them, you just have to do something else so the episode can end in a satisfactory way. So now I tend to think that the Weeping Angels are terrifying as well. Is it the Robot Men? Um, I am completely... Cybermen. Cybermen. Those are the ones that I actually find terrifying now. I it, So not as much as the Daleks, but I don't know if that's because they've just become so iconic and kind of, oh, like uh, Stormtrooper in, in Star Wars. I think um, the Weeping Angels and the reboot Cybermen kind of took what the Daleks used to be, which mm. is that the Daleks used to be this slow uh, but unstoppable force. As the film says, you know, they don't have a weakness as a race, mm. but you can defeat one individually. Like you said, yeah. you could chuck it down the ramp and it yes. falls over, or you can hit it with a really old van and they blow up. And they do. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and like in the TV show, you know, they threw blankets over the eyes or they shot paintball guns at them. All these silly things that could defeat one, mm. but you weren't fighting one. You were fighting an empire. And maybe that, you know, uh, I mean, originally the Daleks were based on Nazis from the the war, mm. uh, you know, especially in the in the William Hartnell version of this of this film. There are literally Daleks doing the Nazi salute over the there River is. Thames. Yes, there is. It's a very specific image I noted down. I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I think as time's gone on, they've obviously changed what the Daleks were based on. And when they brought them back in the reboot, I just don't think they... The very first episode that you referenced where mm. he floats and it's one Dalek wiping out a whole base, that mm. one got it. But after that, I just don't think they knew what to do with them because they'd made them so ridiculously overpowered now. It was like, well, how does anyone fight them? You know, how how can a regular human actually fight back? I mean, in every horror film, yeah, the, the monster is undefeatable, but you have to have those moments of resisting it. Otherwise, there's there's no tension. There's nothing to sort of get your heart beating. It's just Jason comes in and chops your head off. Yes, which is going to be a really interesting contrast to when we get into hardware, which is all that. Uh, but, yeah. this one, but this one, but you're right. Um, Daleks is more, not so much, you're not terrified. You don't think anyone's actually going to die, even though what you're looking at is this uh, Daleks have come and invaded Earth. They've pretty much enslaved the whole entire human race. They're taking them to camps. 
yes, this is only 20 years after the war. So it's, it's the World War II is a kind of ever pre- present over this movie just because people are watching it. Quite a few of them still remembered it. Um, and, but because it's Doctor Who, you're, you're still having a lot of fun with it, even though when you actually take three seconds to think about what's going on, it's incredibly bleak. Um, which yeah. is why, yeah, I kind of did consider for three moments showing threads as a trailer. Um, but yeah, even when they're actually in the prison camp, it turns into the great escape when they're actually kind of it. This, even though the stakes are incredibly high, I don't think you ever feel that they're incredibly high because you're on a Doctor Who adventure. And at the end of the day, Doctor Who's going to get you out of it, if that makes sense. There's no kind of me going, oh, I wonder if they're going to get out of this one. It's like, no, they have Doctor Who. They are absolutely going to get out of this one. Yeah, and I <clears throat> I think some of that comes down to the fact that it was a, like you say, it was a big budget science fiction adventure <laughs> It wasn't designed to make you feel like this is the bleak reality of the future. Like, you know, it was caused by the Daleks. The Doctor can fix it. And it's uh, it, it's almost like you stepped into a parallel world where, well, these these aren't real people as such. This is the future. But no, not, not, none of us will live long enough to, to worry about it. Um, so it's all good. Uh, you know, we can fix it and then leave them to it. I mean... Even in this film, the rules of time travel aren't really clear because uh, I never thought about it until I watched it this time around for this podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, not to cut ahead too, uh, but the at the end they drop Bernard Gribbon's character two minutes before he left, but his old self ain't there. So no! it's kind of like, wait, <laughs> what? How does that work? <laughs> Oh, it's like the age-old question every single time they have to ask, why is the TARDIS bigger on the inside than it is the outside? And my always favourite thing is when you get David Tennant going wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. It's just such an easy way of saying, you don't, you're not going to understand it even if I tell you anyway. To, I think, um, he just mentions, <clears throat> oh, it's just, I don't even know what Cushing says, actually. Um, I, I, think I, just, I do, because yeah. I wrote it down because... <laughs> In, in the first film, he has to basically explain it, mm. and Susan explains it as well, and they go stupidly scientific because they really <laughs> want to get across that the Doctor is this scientist and his whole family is full of brainiacs, but he's so smart, he reads comic books instead because he already knows all of this. Yeah. And I love the way he explains it to Bernard Cribbins because he's like, yeah, it's all relatively simple because obviously TARDIS stands for time and relative dimensions in space and then he's like so with that principle in mind space is the fourth dimension and that means that this is the fifth dimension therefore it all makes perfectly sense because one will accommodate the other (laughs) it's perfectly simple and Bernard Griffin's face is like none of that made any sense and it's like no it doesn't no That is some amazingly Doctor Who bollocks, and I love it. I can't, yeah, I knew he said something. It was very, very simple, but I need to go back and watch the first one. I wanted to try and watch it, and then I got distracted with Doctor No, the other <laughs> Doctor. Um, so I didn't quite get a chance to, to watch it. Um, yeah, no, I've got a feeling I'm going to go on a Bond kick very, very soon. Um, the other great British um, thing that would change is that. Actually, that's a really big British thing as well. I've just realised between who and bond you just you can keep a franchise going for decades because you just like we'll just change the doctor and every time we do it's going to be a massive event yep yep it's it's weird too because uh doctor who had to come up with a an in-universe reason for doing so whereas james bond just went the act has changed now deal with it moving on <laughs> yes 
which probably shows that one of the difference between um, action, spy, and science fiction. Science fiction, you always need a reason, like why the TARDIS is bigger than it is on the up and on the inside. Where there's an action franchise, can go well, different actor, deal with it. You're still going to get Bond, but it's just going to be um, Roger Moore or uh, Daniel Craig. Um, but, I think. I, yeah. I think the thing is, is is when they did it with James Bond, and I, uh, my memory is very rusty on the early James Bond, but obviously Sean Connery had made them all massive success. Then they brought in George Lazenby, and it wasn't. Nope. And then I'm pretty sure they got Sean back for they did. because they paid him. They paid him a silly amount of money for that time. Yes. And then obviously when they brought in Roger Moore, Roger Moore was already famous at least in the UK for mm. doing. The Saint. Uh, the Saint, yeah, and he did The Persuaders mm. and a bunch of other stuff. And I th- I feel like people were willing to accept that because it was like, this is the new James Bond with a new actor. That wasn't that uncommon for films to change actors. In fact, it was quite common. Yeah. Um, whereas in TV shows, it was kind of the opposite. Like, once you got a character, that was it. Mm. If you left, so did the character. Yeah. So I, I feel like because Doctor Who was this massive success, there was a a dramatization that they did starring uh bradley something mm. but his name's escaped me i want to say mm. bradley cooper and i'm like that's not his name but, um, <laughs> and um but basically they showed you what happened to william hartnell like during his final moments playing doctor and how he got the role and all of mm. this and and at the end it was basically all of the creative team had left he was the only person left all the other cast members had left yeah and uh the new people didn't really get it or particularly like him. Uh, and he had some uh, mental health issues as well. It's heavily implied that he had dementia, but back then nobody knew, yeah. which is why he became so difficult to work with, why mm. he couldn't remember his lines, etc. And so the the main producer basically had to fire him, but the show was so successful. They were like, we, we, we don't want to lose the show. So he regenerates. Like that. that was the producer's big solution. It was never supposed to keep the show going for like however many decades it's been going it was just you know we want to keep the show going until it stops being a hit and stops making me money but it never did no it literally <laughs> stopped in the 80s with as you're saying with sylvester and then they had a movie in 96 and then it got rebooted uh, in the early 2000s some to 2005 2005 so it's kind of this amazing thing when you're tracking it it hasn't I mean, Doctor Who was almost as old as TV itself in the UK. It was one of those first yep. big, um, it's like this in Coronation Street. It's basically um, this thing that sort of started in the 1950s and just kept going. And it's kind of an incredible feat. And you're right. They didn't think it was going to be still going. They didn't think that uh, picking regeneration because they were trying to get him out of a top, tough spot would create all this mythology around this character. I mean, I still remember... I can't, it was a big anniversary. Uh, Matt Smith was leaving and uh, Capaldi was was about to take the 50th. They did the movie. I mean, I know it played here. The same time it was playing in the UK. So it was like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning. I know my partner goes, you're going to go up and watch The Who. I went, no, I'm going to go and I play like a normal person (laughs) at like 9 (laughs) a.m. I'm not going to go on. um, He got up and watched it. And it's a, but it was a big, big deal because it was, okay, 50 years we've been having this thing. It is part of the British pop culture landscape. And now we get to introduce a new Doctor Who into it. And yeah, I just remember being such a big deal. Like I'd already, and I'd already been watching Doctor Who. Like I got back into it with um, Eccleston. So I was like fully on board for it. And then 
yeah, it was just like kind of got swept up in it. But it's kind of, it's surprising how it sneaks up on you when you don't expect it. Like you forget about it for a while. And then all of a sudden a new Doctor Who, I'm like, oh shit, I, that's right. I haven't watched any of the Whitaker ones yet. I need to go back. So then I can watch Whitaker. Now I can watch the new um, Doctor Who um, they've announced, which um, should be good. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. Um, so just because just I, I wanted to double check that I wasn't imagining it, the very first episode of Doctor Who aired on the 23rd of November, 1963. Okay, so not quite as out as Cora Street, but pretty close. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, uh, science fiction, in inverted commas, was not particularly popular back then like it is today. Mm. So to get a show of its type to be as strong as it was in the ratings to basically dominate them for brief periods of times they weren't all massive successes but it was successful enough to keep itself going uh, was kind of i wouldn't say unheard of but it was much more of a groundbreaker than i think people give it credit for these days because you look around and shows of its type are everywhere but when Doctor Who aired the very first ones in black and white, that was not the case. No, um, in fact, are... one of the sorry, uh, one, one uh, it's, it's okay. Uh, one of the tenets of the show was that they wouldn't do monsters of the week. They wouldn't do the tropey sci-fi stuff that they all basically considered trashy. Mm. And then they did the Dalek episode, and they exploded more so than the Doctor did. And it was kind of like, ah, mm, maybe we need to rethink that rule then. <laughs> what is it do you think it is about the Daleks I mean we've kind of touched on the fact that they are absolutely terrifying and they especially were terrifying um pre-reboot but what do you think do you think it's that voice do you think it's the fact that they just look they kind of look like mini tanks or is it because they we've seen robots now but do you think it's just in the 60s that people hadn't seen that kind of robot thing and it just kind of yeah because they they are as iconic or more even more iconic than than the doctor i i think it's a mixture of things um have you ever seen the original black and white episode Mm -hmm. the very first one not the first one no no i i i'm not even sure if i'm pretty sure it does exist in its entirety because unfortunately Mm -hmm. one of the great tragedies of doctor who is uh, most of its early stuff is gone uh, which was about to bring that up yeah (laughs) Pretty much solely on the hands of a particular producer at the BBC Mm. who didn't like Doctor Who and just went burn it from the archives. We have no need of this anymore, Um, which is a whole nother conversation. But the the footage uh, of the Daleks when they were first introduced, it's they are scarier in black and white, Mm. partly because, you know, as camera quality got better, the imperfections of the pepper pots on wheels became clearer to audiences but when they were first introduced people would have been watching it on tiny tiny like six inch tvs Mm. if that they'd have been in black and white and the way they filmed them made them look bigger the way they filmed them in shadows made them look more menacing and their eyes which is something that they lost for a long time could actually emote because they got bigger and smaller they do kind Uh of use it a little bit they yeah. do kind of use it a little bit in the film, but they, they don't do, use it yeah. that much. Mm. But yeah, the original Daleks had uh, eyes that could shrink and get bigger, so they could get a little bit of emotion out of mm. them. And I think the fact that they don't have faces, we don't like as a race. We don't mm. like things that don't have faces. Um, and obviously they are just so alien. There's nothing humanoid about them. 
And I think combine that with the voice, combine that with a great storyline about, funnily enough, being from a world that was completely annihilated by a war. Mm. Not can't think what parallels they were trying to make there. No. <laughs> and you know, they believe that they are the superior race. I think everything about them just screamed uh what people found terrifying at the time, but they managed to make them they managed to make it science fiction-y enough that all the kids watching it just saw a cool alien race. So you mm. had two different audiences finding something to like about them. And uh, I think that's what made them so appealing is the kids saw a cool alien race that felt like they were alive and had a lot of law behind them, even though in reality they didn't. Nope. <laughs> but and, and, adult, and adults, maybe they didn't all realize it, but there was a lot of, as you said, post- world war ii stuff mm. in their origins and how they acted and what their goals were and terry nation who created them at least in paper there's yeah i don't think he he didn't make the designs i can't remember the name mm. of the, the gentleman who did but he you know he had a whole dalek empire in his head of what they could potentially be and i think the fact that he did is why they came across so well on screen because he knew he took them seriously Whereas some of the other stuff that was on the show was kind of like, ah, you know, no one cares about this. Doesn't matter if it's a bit crap, you know? That is, that's true, because I still remember being terrified by Daleks when I was a kid. Um, that and Tom Baker, to be honest. I don't know, that knows. <laughs> it's very long. <laughs> um, this, but this, actually, I do love the scarf. I've always had affection for, for um, Baker's, Baker's scarf. But um I think he's the one that sticks in my brain the most, even though this would have been reruns when I was a kid. But the Daleks, yeah, and that's that voice as well. It's so emotional, motionless, and they're always saying exterminate, exterminate. Um, and even in the movie, it is actually kind of terrifying because they've just got on loudspeakers throughout just trying to get the rebels who are all hiding under London. Um, being, yeah, they're broadcasting on the radio. Broadcasting on the radio. Give yourself up, or we'll just bomb the shit out of this place. Like there, will, there will be no survival if you don't come out and and be subservient to to the Daleks. It's it's kind of yeah. It's not something you notice it because you're too busy grinning. Mainly because I do love watching old British movies because I'll recognize certain actors like Andrew Kerr and Bernard um, Cribbins. Uh, making sure I get that name right. Of course, my beloved Peter Cushing. So I'm kind of just having too much fun with it to sort of realize going, oh, this is this is a Holocaust story. This is exactly what this is. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, the 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 original black and white show got a lot of press, a lot more negative than people realized mm. because they showed London lost. That, yeah. You know, it was bombed, it was destroyed. And uh they when they did the film. I don't know if you know, uh, you, you probably do, but just, mm. but it, it, none of it was filmed in London. Uh, and I think part of that is the fact that there was no way they were going to get permission to do it again uh, because the first time they filmed it caused so much commotion and so many people, you know, showed up and yeah. it, it ground London to a halt. It did, um, yeah. But, but also, you know, Shepperton Studios had uh, much bigger, um, facilities to offer because i'm pretty sure because there's there's a lot of behind the scenes making stuff on youtube mm. there's a lot of stuff on this blu-ray mm. um but they have um they weren't actually that far from where the tv show was being made at the time 
uh, and they just basically had like bigger sets to play with and more money. Because uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that Terry Nation was involved with making both of these films because that's kind of where some dispute with the rights to the Daleks started happening. Yes, because um, I because I know because it was the BBC that originally a uh, BBC owns the TV rights. I miss yeah. BBC, yeah, BBC. Um, and they were the ones who were making the show. But I know it was because someone bought the rights to use a, the Daleks in another in, in movie form because they were looking at this going oh my god we can make so much money if we just make a movie put daleks in it and yeah. then put it and out that, there um, mm. and that was terry nation because he holds the rights to the daleks to this day his ah. estate and family holds the rights to the daleks which yeah. is why um when when they did the reboot there was a question of whether or not the daleks were even going to be allowed to be used and they were but the family put a stipulation in the contract that they have to stay looking like Daleks. You can update them, but you can't mess with their aesthetic design. Mm. They still have to look like they always have because naturally the first thing the, the new people wanted to do was change them. And they said, no. <laughs> I like that decision because even though some of my, well, I remember them more because I watch them more frequently and I don't go into the older ones well i think i've only done a couple of times once is um that they really wanted to make it this the sexy doctor who like you know you get christopher ecclestein and uh, tenant and matt smith uh that is basically saying oh look at this doctor isn't he very very good looking don't you actually want to keep looking at him and usually because it's david Tennant, i'm like yeah yeah i actually do and that works to a certain um certain extent so they definitely wanted to make it this isn't your daddy's doctor (laughs) when they rebooted it yeah and I, and I mean, you know, they gave Billy Piper as his assistant, which yeah. he didn't really stay as his assistant. They massively changed the dynamics of what that meant. But yes. also, as you said, they also then, in my opinion, kind of made a mistake, even though I do like it. But they made the assistant a romantic interest rather than just being his companion. Yeah. And that, I think, caused them problems later down the line that they kind of had to deal with going forward. Mm. And they've not re- they've not really repeated it since because I think they realised that that doesn't work. No. Um, I really like the fact that David Tennant, who is a slightly more of a sociopath, like I know he still kind of felt he was definitely still in love with Billy Piper because she stayed after Eccleston and was with Tennant for a little bit. But then yeah. after she left, he became much more of a um, very selfish, more sociopathic at times, who, which I think really worked because they were just like, oh, this is making who more complicated than we want to if we're putting actual emotion into 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 this character. Um, yeah, you're right. They haven't repeated that, have they? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. I mean, yeah. uh, I'll be honest. I don't, I haven't watched Doctor Who since Capaldi left. And that, that it's not because um, I was bothered about the change of the character or anything mm. like that. It's just um, that's about around the time <clears throat> that was around the time when I moved house and I moved city where I live. And, I, and a lot of stuff that I was watching at the time, I just wasn't anymore because either I didn't have time or wasn't able to. Whatever the reason, mm. I did uh, go back and start watching the, some of the episodes mm. and I was already kind of getting bored with Capaldi's doctor and it just it I don't know something just wasn't there anymore for me and it started long before they changed 
the to character Jody. to a yeah. woman. Yeah. No, I think I fell off a little bit with Capaldi. I don't know quite what's happening. I don't know if it's because Moffat was more interested in Sherlock at that time. And he just, it wasn't, because I think he was running both shows, something silly like that. Yeah, and then Yeah, I think I saw the first episode of Jody, and it was fine, but though I have heard from a few people that they kind of decided to get into reinvent it, so they kind of changed the structure of the show, which Doctor Who fans are very, like, routine <laughs> from what I can gather. Um, so, and I know the original showrunner from Eccleston's coming back for this new one, so it'll be interesting to see yes. what happens, if he's going to bring some new energy into it. Well, I mean, it's not a, a spoiler, but uh, I don't know if you know or not, but it's not just him, it's David Tennant and Catherine Tate as well. Oh! I did not know that those so, two were coming. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of question marks as to what the hell is going on at the moment. Yeah. Um, there is obviously going to be a new Doctor, but yeah. the the prevailing theory is that David Tennant is coming back for a few episodes, basically to get the ratings back, and then he's going to pass it off to the new guy. Um, but, but I don't think that they would do that that's too simple for um russell t davis who's the person that rebooted the show mm. originally so i'm curious to see what he actually does because i don't think it'll be as simple as that no i mean to be fair if you're going to get ratings up you bring tenant back because i know he is my favorite doctor i think he had some of the most interesting episodes and yeah it was a little bit more sociopathic so you didn't necessarily know if you could trust his motives where there's the other ones you could always go, oh no, they're they're, they're the good guy. Um, do you have a favorite um doctor? Oh, uh my favorite has changed several times over mm. the years. David Tennant is one of them. And then it's a it's it's a constant battle in my head between John Pertwee and Tom Baker. Um Tom Tom Baker has an unfair advantage. He's a lot of original series fans favorite he's my dad's favorite yeah but he's also the longest running doctor still to this mm. day so he has a massive advantage in that respect now he has so many good episodes so many different companions and so much he's also the the series where davros was created oh wow it's like <laughs> yeah davros didn't exist until tom baker's oh wow first yeah episode with yeah. the daleks um, which is where they, and it was written by Terry Nation, I'll add mm. as well, which is where they basically rebooted the Daleks because mm. one of my only real issues, and it's not something I, I realized as a kid, but when mm. I've rewatched them as an adult, the Daleks had lots of personality, lots of goals and ambitions. They had a structure, they had an empire. I mean, that uh, off air, I showed you a figure of a Dalek. That was the Supreme Dalek. Yeah. Um, but once Davros shows up, every episode afterwards is a Davros episode. There is not a single Dalek episode that doesn't also involve Davros. And they go from having a lot of personality to being machines, which is a th- which is a thing in the story. They make yeah. a point of saying that. Yeah. But when I rewatch the John Pertwee episodes where the Daleks don't have that luxury of falling back on the fact that they have a human, in inverted commas, thing to do all yeah. of their emotional and acting baggage they have to do it so mm. they have to have personality they have to have character and i find those dialects much more interesting but that's just me a lot of people don't seem to agree with me <laughs> no you do see that in the movie a bit because they are you're right they have they are big characters they have a lot of ambition and they kind of take up the screen and so you're just so excited that you're seeing Daleks, and i think you do see that i mean i'm 
joked about the one side of sliding down the ramp, but that's kind of the action that they do. And they, they are absolutely terrifying because of how ambitious they are. They are literally going, we're going to suck the earth of every piece of energy that it has. We're going to use humans for the labor. And then we're going to bugger off when earth is a husk. Um, well, their, their, yeah. their plan, as crazy as it is, is to turn the Earth into a giant spaceship and fly yeah. it back to Scaro, <laughs> which is just, to this day, I don't know how they were going to do that, but it's the Daleks, I believe, that they could. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's the Daleks, they're good at anything, but it's, yeah, you're right, they did actually, yeah, sorry, sometimes, as much as I love Peter Cushing, his speeches did go on for quite a while, I was just kind of like zoning out a little bit, which is weird, because <laughs> I adore Peter Cushing. Um, going back to the doctor, because we were talking about our sort of favorite doctors and kind of how everyone kind of has their own favorite doctor, Peter Cushing doesn't get talked about as much. Is that because he was just in the two movies and not the TV show? Or is it just the the older two movies have been forgotten a little bit? I, I'd say you're right with everything you just said. Mm. He's not He's not recognized as part of the people that have played the Doctor because technically he's playing William Hartnell's Doctor. Yeah, he so is, yeah. So he doesn't, the films don't have any canon with the TV show, mm. but also the BBC hates the films because <laughs> obviously they didn't get anything from them. No. Um, and to this day, I'm pretty certain that there is no real recognition of the films up until very recently where they suddenly decided they were allowed to be released on Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure recently they got new 4K mm. remasters. Um, but merchandising was such a nightmare back then with the Daleks because of all these rights issues mm. that even now the people that hold the rights to the films don't like playing nice with the BBC to allow them to sell movie Daleks. Um, they did manage to do it sneakily because if people uh, don't know, you know, this is a lot of nerdy stuff, mm. but the cases that were made for the movie for the Daleks, most of them were destroyed during shooting because obviously, yeah. as you see, they get blown to pieces, they get wrecked. Um, but some of them survived. Some, Well, most of them did survive and were rebuilt, mm. even though they weren't all in great shape. But some of them were used on the television show. Um I can't quite remember the details, but basically they got rented. Like the BBC had to pay the the Shepperton, I think, to borrow a couple of Daleks. And the plan was to essentially mutilate them and turn them into TV Daleks and mm. then put them back together when they sent them back. Mm. But they couldn't because they didn't have the time. So there are some shots, and I'm pretty sure the episode name is The Chase, where they are there in the background and you really have to look for them, but they are there. Mm. They're very obvious because they don't obviously look the same. No. Um, uh, but originally it wouldn't have been an issue, but now with like television technology having massively improved, you can see them clear as day. Like they're part of a patrol in the back and they're like two feet taller than the rest of the Daleks. <laughs> um, and then Terry Nation kept some of them, some of the cases that like he actually yeah. kept to his own ones. And when he did a John Pertwee episode, um, which featured that Dalek that I showed you yeah. earlier, um, he it's his personal blue and white Dalek, I'm pretty sure, that was essentially taken into a BBC effects sh shop, repainted and recolored. Mm. And uh, they basically changed it so that it looked different to the movie Daleks, but different to a regular Dalek so that they could call it a Supreme Dalek. Ah. Um, 
which is which is another reason why, like I said, there's all this lovely, complicated stuff to do with who owns the rights to the image of which type of Dalek. Because um, there are actually television Daleks that have the big bumpers. Because okay. the, bump, yeah. the bumpers were basically used to allow them to walk, uh, to move across outside environments. Because one thing that even the movie Daleks struggled with, which you could see in a few scenes, is they're not very stable on open ground. No, no, they're they, not. <laughs> when they were originally invented, they were only supposed to be inside uh, uh, the studio mm. on their city which was all flat metal surfaces they didn't have to worry about terrain obstacles realistically how they could move across any other surface and then all of a sudden they got thrown into storylines where they had to move across all sorts of environments and they just kept falling over they couldn't do it so they added the bumpers to basically give them that extra balance and support and give them bigger wheels underneath and bigger traction or whatever it was they needed but they look that that it they didn't like how they look, so they went back to the old Daleks, which meant that, yeah, they wobble a lot, but that's that's the image that most fans want, you know? No, you're, you're touching a good point, because I do love about the, the movie um, Daleks Invasion is that they do leave London. They do have to go this, like, cross-country kind of thing to all get to the same place at the end. And um, also, because Doctor Who now has this massive fandom, everyone has their own favourite favorite Dalek, it's not just, oh, I like Daleks. It's like, oh, I like the Daleks from the Petrie era or the Baker era, or I like the new Daleks or doing with them now or the original from the original show. It's not, it's like Doctor Who. It's not just the one thing anymore, which is kind of one of the great things about the show because all this rich tradition at the same time, I could imagine there are certain people pulling their hair out because rights don't all belong to the same person. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the Dal. I think that most of the rights issues with the nation estate have been sorted in inverted commas. Like mm. selling all the other different types of Daleks from the TV show isn't mm. an issue. It's just the movie Daleks that are a pain. Mm. Um, because, uh, but again, they they have kind of got around it. Yes, it would be nice if they could just release official movie Daleks with that sort of box art. I mean, they did release stuff at the time mm. because you can still get them. They cost a fortune, like they're on eBay. Um, I'm more than happy to say that somewhere in my dad's place are two red and black movie Daleks. Oh, They're wow. massive. Yeah. They, they like if they were behind me, they would tower over everything you could see behind me. They are oh, huge. Wow. Um, they're remote controlled, sort of. Yeah. They used to be. They yeah. they they're very old. Um, but yeah, they they so they did have merchandise that that looked like mm. the movie Daleks, but yeah. They don't have any nice, like, small Daleks that look like the, the, <laughs> the ones that are much easier to store, unfortunately. The the Dalek merchandise back then looked, to, to be blunt, atrocious. <laughs> um, they There are many, many different manufacturers of Dalek toys throughout the decades, and most of them don't look great. Mm. Um, there are some in the 80s, I think, is when they finally got toys that kind of had the shape right. You can't see them, but I'll grab them at the end. But over yeah. there, oh, you might just be able to see them. Oh, yeah. no, you can't. No, not but quite. There, there, are, there are Daleks back there. I'll grab some to show you yeah. the difference later, because obviously people listening won't appreciate it. No. <laughs> but they, they are probably the closest you could get to accurate Daleks from back in the day that didn't cost a fortune or mm-hmm. didn't talk or whatever. But they look, they're not got any detail on them. 
I think um, I can so, yeah. actually see them. The little gray things on the on the top of the shelf. I think I can. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Just, I mean, this movie is such a simple movie in, in one respect because it's literally Doctor Who goes on an adventure. He kidnaps essentially a companion. He's got his niece and his granddaughter and they go off and have an adventure and tie everything up in a nice bow at the end. But because it is Doctor Who, it represents so much history in terms of this character, how you feel about him, where it goes, what he, what it, that character means to you now. It is, it's kind of, I don't know, you just get in a really happy Doctor Who mood and all of a sudden, yeah, I'm putting on blank. <laughs> it's... Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like I said, I watched these films growing up as a kid. So, you know, I, I remember so much. I, I didn't really need to rewatch this. I did just to make, just in case, but I knew so much of the dialogue, so much of the story. Um, I watched, I probably wore out the VHS of both of these films yeah. because it, it, it wasn't like today where uh, you could just put them on. It was a case of uh, you recorded them off the television or that was it because mm. they didn't release Doctor Who in VHS box sets like they do with some other shows. You know, yeah. it was a case of uh, you saw him on TV or you didn't. And, it, you know, just to hammer home how stupid this is, some of the episodes that are now out on DVD, like for the classic series, those came from fans' recordings of the ones off the television because the original film prints were all thrown out or recorded mm. over. Yeah. Yeah. I know someone has gone and animated a few series from the second Doctor as well. They actually went and animated. Yeah, yeah. They, had, they had the sound <clears throat> recording, but they didn't have the image. So someone went and animated those episodes. Yeah. So they're, so they're not completely lost. <laughs> yeah, I have one of those. Yeah. Um, I think it's Power of the Daleks. Again, yeah. funnily enough, it's a Dalek <laughs> episode. It's a really good one. Mm. Um, and yeah, that, that that's a great way to to do it. I love I loved the fact that they did that. Unfortunately, some of them, the animation mm. is more like a motion comic than real animation. But the yeah. ones that have the time and the money to do it properly. Yeah, those are great. Mm. No, it's it's such a fascinating thing. And it's such a little interesting time capsule. One, if you are a Hammer fan, just watching Peter Cushion do his thing, even if he can be a little long-winded, but again, he is playing William Hartnell. Um, and that is just kind of what he does. And that's what the Doctor was at that point. But it's still this really really great fun movie that you just kind of have well have a lot of fun with and finally got an excuse to finally sit down and watch it so this was perfect i'm like oh yes yeah, so good just puts me in the who vibe i <clears throat> i love the fact that so much of the the dalek props were essentially reused as well yes um when because obviously like you say you finally sat down and watched it and there's so much of this film the sets were reused, the sets were redressed, the sets were recycled. Mm. And uh, there's there, all of the stuff outside the saucer, all of the stuff done uh, where you can see like long corridor shots mm. of the city, that's all one set just yeah. redressed uh. over and over and over again on a on a stage. Mm. Um, and the Daleks, there's only, I'm pretty certain that there were only actually seven of them <laughs> and they just got... They, used they just well. got reused, <laughs> yeah, um, because I know that they they re-added, or sorry, they re-shot some of the, the action sequences where the Rebels attacked and they 
blew some of them up. Mm. The Robomen come in. Um, but if you look uh, carefully, again, you have to know to notice it. Some of the dialects look really run down, and that's because they filmed the reshoots after they blew them up with the van. So they had to then put them back together. But of course, they were scuffed and marked, and they didn't all quite work as well as they did before that, obviously. I did so see a few. To, like, yeah, they looked a bit tired. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because there are some spectacular explosions, as you say, when an old van that looks like a postman pet van kind of runs into one. That is. That's a great moment. Actually, it was weird because I didn't actually see where his granddaughter was. And I thought Andrew Kerr had left her in the van. I was like, oh, no, Andrew Kerr, did you just blow up Dr. Who's granddaughter? <laughs> and I realized she's kind of like under him. Like, I didn't see it. I just like the way it was shot. It just looked like she wasn't there. And I'm like, did you just blow up? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but um, anything else you want to say about this movie before we move on? No, uh, it's just that it's one of those films that you can just put on and enjoy the retro. Um, yeah. I love the set designs, the ridiculousness. Everything about it feels so 60s. It's kind of painful. <laughs> it really is. Uh, more so than a few other 60s movies because I was like, did they actually film this in the same BBC set? I know it's not, but when they're in that room with the chalkboard or when Doctor and um, the Rebel Leader are, are, are talking, I'm like, this feels like such a Doctor Who set. It's just like this dark room that you can tell it's been re- repurposed for six different things. Um, but yeah, no, it is, a, it is a wonderful little movie. And so with that, we're going to go for a hoot of a movie to a movie that uh, has, well, a lot of things going on. And that is, of course, hardware. <laughs> Scott, if you're going to choose your first trailer for um, hardware, what would it be? Uh, Blade Runner. Now, I need your deck. This is a bad one. Worst yet. There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants, three male, three female. A Blade Runner's job is to hunt down replicants, manufactured humans you can't tell from the real thing. What's this? Roy Batty, probably the leader. There was just one outfit making replicants that superhuman, the Terrell Corporation. Mr. Deckard, Dr. Eldon Terrell. I don't get it, Tyrell. Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. I was looking for six replicants in a city of 106 million people. I totally had thought of this. Yeah, there's a definite Blade Runner theme with this movie, isn't there? (laughs) Not theme, um, uh, tone, I should say. Yeah, yeah, tone. Um, They definitely feel like they could be from the same world. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Blade Runner would be the nicer side of the world. The and nicer I think neighborhood. Lives, mm-hmm. Yeah, hardware lives in the the rundown city that's kind of been neglected and abandoned, but it really wouldn't be hard to imagine that, you know, you take a drive on the freeway and you're in the other place, you know? You really would, especially how the light works and everything like that. It has a very Blade Runner, except this part does not rain at all. Um, as we get into, there's a line when they go, oh, I thought it was raining. Oh, I wish. No, this is, um, yeah, this is not the, the other, the Blade Runner's comparative is, is the place you want to be regard- and not this place. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that is a really, really good trailer. I have gone so up and down on Blade Runner. I'm really, I'm in the stage where I love it, but there have been times when I did not get into that movie and I don't know why. <laughs> Well, I suppose it also depends what cut of the movie you were watching, which never helps. No, 
and I probably don't even know which cut I was watching when I didn't like it. Um, I do li- really like the ultimate. I think that's the one I've settled on that I like. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever watched the original cut with uh, the ha- with the Harrison Ford narration? I've not seen it in its entirety, but I have seen scenes with his mm. narration, and I go back and forth on it because the funny thing is, the very very first time I watched Blade Runner, which wouldn't have been the ultimate car. I don't mm. again. I don't know what color it was, but it definitely didn't have the voiceovers. I actually remember thinking and saying that it felt he felt so much like a noir detective that I'm surprised there wasn't voiceovers in certain scenes. Mm. And lo and behold, when I was when that footage finally came back, it was exactly the scenes where I thought they would fit. Yeah. So I actually think I don't think they were bad. Mm. I don't think they were the reason that the film didn't do well i just think that the package as a whole was just never going to do well with mainstream audiences you know no and plus they decided to try to put it up against et which was just disastrous (laughs) (laughs) so many movies that little alien just ran over and just went (laughs) screw you (laughs) um yeah it's it's no this is a really good movie i think yeah the ultimate cut is the one i've settled on there's a really cool atmosphere to it that you just kind of like living in uh not quite like hardware because versus it hardware is like the the if you go down the freeway ending up on the definite oh this place but um it's a classic for a reason it's um yeah i haven't seen the one with the narration i'm keen to but just because you've heard so many rumors about this thing of how ridley scott really didn't want narration but the you hear that even harrison ford i don't think wanted to do the narration but yeah but it it is such a noir kind of kind of movie yeah, I mean, ha- the problem with Harrison Ford is he goes back and forth. Like, if you go through enough interviews, he he, he almost contradicts himself with what was and wasn't said, which I'm sure a lot of it is just down to his memory. Yeah. Because, you know, for us, it's like we want all the nitty-gritty details and we commit these things to memory. For him, it was just a job. Yeah, it was. And yeah. I think a lot of people struggle with that reality, you mm. know? Um. Yeah, but yeah, Ridley Scott has, has said multiple times that, the final product and what he wanted to make were two very different things because studio interference was mm. very high on that particular film, which is weird because he was already a success by that point. You think they'd have just left him alone? Yeah, I mean, he made Alien, and so it's just like, yeah, leave the man alone. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, so I'm not going to go for my big budget um, one first. I'm actually going to go... Well, Albert Pugh made a few uh, dystopian movies, but I'm going to go with Radioactive Dreams from 1985. My name's Philip, and this is going to be a yarn about me and my pal, Marlo, about the day we got out of the shelter and went off into the post-nuclear world, where we both dreamed becoming private eyes, just like the ones we'd read about. You think the world's changed much? Nah! A push of light in air, and seconds later, we'll up there. It's not so strange, and if we stick together... Okay, a movie okay. I have never I have never seen because it's there's actually there's a copy on YouTube that didn't look too bad actually, which I might end up watching. Cause I know you've actually done a very good episode with Rob Antiquera, I think it was Rob, on yeah. um Cyborg, which was a great, great episode. Um, but looking at what I've seen of Radioactive Dreams, because again, very noir actually, and well, hardware changes its genre depending on on its mood. But <clears throat> yeah, radioactive dreams is such that kind of very self-contained, 
um, nuclear um, dystopia and two guys descend to go on a road trip so they can be nor detectives. I think is pretty much the plot. I do need to see this movie, but the trailer is cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've never seen it. Um, I, I obviously, like you say, I did an episode on Cyborg. Mm-hmm. I plan to do a couple of other uh, Pune movies. Um, probably not that one, though I, uh, I probably will check it out at some mm-hmm. point because I do like him, his style. But yeah, I mean, anything by him, in my, in all honesty, would fit with this film. Um, yeah, I did. I did briefly consider Cyborg. I, I also considered the other one that the name is escaping me, which is going to annoy me because oh, it's the Nemesis. one that starts with Yukunair. Nemesis. Thank yes. you. Um, yeah, I considered both of those as trailers, but I, in the end, I thought other other than the fact that they're both post-apocalypses. Uh, it's too obvious. I think it's. I was kind of like, yeah, they're they're the first things I thought of, so I don't want to pick them. <laughs> no, um, I'm well. I'm not going to go too much into Richard Stanley because, but him, but um, I he knowingly makes good movies, but he does have a kind of pune style, but just not quite what pune does. As in, pune has this kind of knack for making really low budget movies feel bigger than they are. I mean, with what's his face, Grenier, I think sliding down backwards and doing the woo two gun things when he's sliding down a literal slide. Um, but no, uh, Pune knew how to new had knew how to work a post-apocalyptic landscape. Like he could just go to a construction site or just this kind of weird piece of land film or even a weird swimming pool for, I can't remember what it was called. It's really, really fun movie. Rutger Howe is in a wheelchair. Um, it's, me now anyway really good movie even if the terrorists are still wearing their pool polos when they take over everyone i don't know i find that thing very amusing but um no i assuming something to do with music rights but if we could get like a really nice release of radioactive dreams that would be great uh because i do actually want to see this movie even though i did find something on youtube which i'm just going to have to bite the bullet and go i'm watching this on youtube <laughs> <laughs> yeah unfortunately some movies you can't just have to do that with. It's, yeah. it's annoying, but that is the only way you're going to actually be able to watch them. Yeah, and Pune is one of those directors that I think should get more things behind him because I think he's such a fascinating director. Um, so yeah, that is my, my first trailer. What is going to be your second trailer? 1986's Chopping Mall. Paul has a new security system. Completely mobile, user-friendly, and absolutely... Fail safe. But something is going wrong. There's another one of those things out there. We need to pick us up one by one. He ain't getting me. I also thought about this one. Um, I just saw <laughs> the first time a few months ago, and that movie is fun. <laughs> Thank you. Have a nice day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I really like that film. Um, I watched it for the first time uh, a couple years ago, yeah. and it was, I'm going to give pure credit where it's deserved. I'd never even heard of that film until uh, In Search of Darkness, the documentaries about oh, horror films, yeah. came out. And uh, 
that was one of the films they did because obviously they've done like three of them now but i think the very first one i'm sure they talked about chopping mall or maybe it was the second one i can't remember but they they played clips from it and i was like i like killer robots how have i not seen this or heard of this so i i tracked it down and i thoroughly loved it um there is another one as well that i don't know if you've seen it was in the 90s called evolver um no i haven't seen another that hmm. uh yeah see that one I've, I can't find it mm. other than my VHS tape, which is probably covered in mold. I, I've never been able to find that one. But basically, uh, a kid wins this robot for succeeding very well at a video game in an arcade. The robot is programmed to beat it, and it's programmed to evolve to get better so that it's always getting stronger as an opponent, which is how the video game works. The problem is, is it takes its program too seriously realizes that its toy weapons it has is never going to be able to succeed that objective, so it starts replacing it with things that will cause real damage oh. and starts getting bigger yes. and stronger, literally, by figuring out that it can't kill him with, like, you know, foam missiles, but a fork would do the job if fired very fast, for example. <laughs> yeah. No, this is great. Uh, Chopping Mall might be Jim Marajowski's, um I'm but- butchering his name, best movie. I mean, if you ever want a schlocky director, that's the guy. I love how this weirdly has a connection to a 1980 or 1982 movie called um, Eating Raul with uh, Mary Warnoff and Paul Bartel. They're the two um, snarky people when they're doing the demonstration in the crowd um oh yeah yeah yeah. they're apparently the same characters from eating raul and i'm just like that is the weirdest thing ever because i think there is a um a, a common connection because you know dick miller's in this being amazing for two seconds before he's like thing but yeah i thought for years this was a typical slasher there was actually a killer in the mall i didn't actually realize for a long time it, probably until that documentary you're referring to when i went wait this movie is robot what is this movie and i finally sat down <laughs> and watched it and it's really fun i mean yeah it's got um kind of it's got that kind of mix between feeling like a great roger corman movie and a typical 80s um slasher because you've got barbara crampton kelly maroney and then you've also got the dick miller the mary warnoff and paul bartell kind of thing going on it is a supremely weird and bizarre movie with some really great kills in it considering it's the robots just like shooting lasers at, at people or like no wait they're electrocuting them aren't they but of both i don't know it's gorier than i thought it would be yeah yeah, I I think the in-universe explanation is that it's electric, but yeah, it's basically just firing lasers. Yeah, at people. yeah, I think they do try and think, and then by the end of the movie, it's like screw it, they're shooting lasers. Um, yeah. but no, that is a great, great pick. Actually, I'm not going to go with my original one. I am going to go for a nice robot movie. Um, this movie was technically released last year or this year, depending on when it was made, that kind of thing, um, or when it was released to wherever you are. And that is, of course, Brian and Charles from 2021, officially. Tony. Charles. Charles. <laughs> Charles. Charles. You like that name, do you? Hello, Brian. Hello, Charles. It's lovely to meet you. This is incredibly overwhelming. Imagine me and you. I do. I never thought I'd make anything as amazing as Charles. You built my body. I built his body. And my tummy is a washing machine. And his tummy is a washing machine. So happy together. Keep showing to people. Why not? I should call you up. And what you want for him? Oh, he's not for sale. Why are you wearing that? I feel pretty cool, man. Imagine I want to go on an adventure. Everything is lovely. So it's not all lovely. Stay down, boy. There's a big old world out there. The big... 
perilous world. Oh my gosh. What was that? Perilous. Yeah, this is a directed movie by Archer. This is actually features a character that was on a few Ricky Gervais um shows. Um because it's essentially about this guy who's kind of a loner living in a small Welsh town who builds a robot who is fully sentient called Charles Petrosky. And it's kind of about, uh, David Earl plays um, Brian. And it is literally just this guy now raising this robot who is literally going through the stages of childhood. So when Charles becomes a teenager, it's freaking hilarious. It's a really, it, look, it's a crowd pleaser. It's more of the robot you want in the house, not the one that you get in 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 hardware. Okay, I was going to go Robocop, but we're going Brian and Charles. And it's just, it's kind of one of those movies when there's a particular character that gets their final, gets their comeuppance, you want to cheer. It's just that kind of movie. It's making you wanting to smile. It is laugh. The, the robot is hilarious. He's got a, a washing machine for a tummy. And the only thing I will say is that I don't know why this is a mockumentary. They kind of start off with it and then they completely forget that it's a mockumentary. So I'm like going, some really edit, weird editing choices there. Are we still in a mockumentary or, or what's, I don't know, when what's what's going on? But um, yeah, it's still definitely worth a watch. Yeah, um, it got advertised to death over here when it came out. It would have, um, yeah. Which kind of, <laughs> kind of put me off. I hate, I really detest that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm. And uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting pick. <laughs> Not exactly in line. I mean, yeah, this is the kind of Welsh town that you actually want to go and hang out for with for a while. Um, yeah. It looks charming. It's got that one kind of local store, one pub kind of feel to it. Um, but yeah, no, I can imagine how this would annoy the living snot out of people. Um especially if it just got advertised a lot. This was more of a charming surprise for me because I wasn't expecting it. Um, so yeah, that is my pick. And with that, we're going to go into the complete opposite world of what that movie was and going for hardware. I give you 30, 40, 50. I know you'd see it my way. Only some of the stuff that gets thrown away isn't dead. Christmas, baby. I got something else you like. What is it? It's a sleep. Ferrell Electronics presents its new model, the Mark 13. The Mark 13 is self-repairing, capable of recharging its storage batteries from just about any power grid, including the sun. And when it wakes up, it'll become something entirely new. I gotta see. It's important. One hour. A creature that combines the technology of a computer, the deceit of a human, and the killer instinct of a machine. Chase, listen to me. This is serious. Jealous in trouble. When was the first time you had you had you seen this movie before? Or? No, this was also <laughs> my first time watching it. Oh, which is wow. why as I was watching it, as I was watching it, I went. This is not the best pairing uh, with uh, Doctor Who, uh, I, apparently. Uh, I mean, I, kn I knew it was different. Like, my whole original reasoning was that they have similar concepts in that killer robots, even though I just said the Daleks aren't robots. They aren't, but the film treats them very, very similar. Yes. Um, and I just thought the other connection, which I might have to go into a bit more detail on, is that they both originate from the UK. So mm. it was like they both have similar 
tone, uh, sorry, not tone, they both have similar ideas, but very, very different execution. I didn't realize how different, obviously, until I watched it, but I had read the short story that Hardware is based on, which is 2080's Shock. Oh, um, okay. That, yeah, that, that, uh, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was thinking how 20, uh, thinking AD this was actually kind of feeling, and now it is. Yeah. Well, um, just because it's worth sharing, Hardware wasn't technically a licensed adaptation. Um, they actually got sued horrifically. Uh, because they tried to pass this off as an original film. Oh, and, yeah. And they 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 basically uh, 2000 AD basically got sent lots of letters by fans going, "Have you seen this film Hardware? Because if we told you what it's about, you'd think we're talking about your comic." Mm. And they were like, "What?" And so they watched it, and they were like yeah that's that's uh, <laughs> and it went so, to court and they lost oh no so it was like john carpenter watching um oh my god what was that movie called guy pierce when they were ripping off um escape from new york anyway oh guy... yeah uh, yeah i don't yeah. know the name of it either but yeah um but they john carpenter's looking at it going huh someone didn't pay me for this um yeah you're paying me <laughs> Yeah, so at the end of the, the film now, there is a, a, a big paragraph about the fact that this is based on 2080s work by such and such. Um, but yeah, that wasn't there originally. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they tried to argue that, that it wasn't that similar. Like, yes, it, it clearly has uh, shared ideas, but, mm -hmm. you know, it, it wasn't that similar. And they were like, it's it's so similar that the only stuff you added is the stuff that's kind of grimy and disgusting, which yeah. I actually like. I but do. All the yeah. other stuff is kind of just like, mm, yeah. There's no way that 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 the person that made that hadn't read the the comic strip. Yes, because I thought that I had seen this like when you're at a house party and someone throws on a movie. I thought it was one of those that I kind of sat down and watched. I think I was getting this confused with something like. I think the title is Mind Warped. I don't know. It's it's Bruce Campbell in a desert telekinetic post, again, post-apocalyptic kind of kind of world. Um, I think I was getting confused with this one. That is not it. But when I was sort of watching it, I did get that very British feeling connection of this dystopian world where, again, Daleks are technically aren't robots, but they are very much treated like robots in the movie. So it's these kind of post-apocalyptic robots kind of thing. But it's kind of fascinating as in when there's a very specific style British do, a British uh, production will do when they're making something about a, a horrific future. Um, and it always feels, and again, going back to the World War II thing, but it always feels like, um, oh, we kind of, we're taking our experience of something that has happened and we're putting into film, even though this also, when you said 2000 AD, I went, oh, that makes so much sense. This movie feels so 2000 AD because when you even look at something like Judge Dredd, it's got that same sticky, not the sleeves. I mean, the sleeves was definitely added, but the sticky kind of everything, everyone's ill kind of feeling. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. That was every, everything about this world feels off. Um, it feels grimy and nasty and it's it like everything needs to be cleaned yes. <laughs> as bad as that sounds but it, it to me even though this is made in 1990 
but this this is the sort of film that I watch and I remember within five minutes of them meeting the uh the salesman that that's gonna buy their scrap from them. Yes. I remember saying out loud, this film would not get made today like this. There is no way on the face of this planet you'll be able to find a film that has this tone and aesthetic the way that they've portrayed it. I'm surprised they got away with it in 1990, to be honest. This feels 70s. This feels like the exploitation grindhouse you would find in the 19 um in the 1970s. Um yeah. even, I mean, because you have um oh, I was trying to get where's my um what's his name? The guy who plays the neighbor. Um, he is so just oh, um, oh, William Hootkins. Yes, Hootkins. I remember looking at the name, going, "That is a very interesting um way to say your say your name." Um, Hootkins. Um, yeah, it's the stuff that comes out of his mouth, and it's mostly just so sleazy and so disgusting you kind of want to have a shower afterward and this is a kind of a movie where you want to have a shower i mean the amount of times poor stacy travis is thrown through something or is um even in the shower at the end i'm like i need to clean that shower that shower is disgusting and that's meant to be the one clean kind of place in the apartment that they established that's white it's it's kind of got yeah. water it's kind of the clean when when you see the robot at the end i'm like i need to clean that mold right now this is gross <laughs> i need to get in there and scrub yeah, I, I, there's a lot about this movie. I mean, <sighs> William Hootkins plays that stalker, creepy, scary guy to perfection. I mean, it's so unsettling, but it's not just him. Every, like you said, uh, the thoughts on the director aside, the mm. way the, the whole film is shot, it sets you on edge from the word go. But the more it pulls you into the world, the less you like it. And I think the less you want to be there. Yeah. And obviously they make a point of being like, well, there ain't nowhere else to go. No. Like this is the, this is the nice part. Yeah. Um, you know, it's this, or you can go out into the desert and get irradiated, or you can go off to war and probably get slaughtered. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you, this is the nice place. I mean, um, Dylan McDermott's character, Moses, even says when he comes in a few months ago, this building used to be nice. What mm. the hell happened? And they're like, oh, someone drove a car through the entrance and now people just run, you know, do whatever they like. And it's like, right. So someone drove a car through it and now the building's just open for anyone and no one does anything. Like yeah. there's no police, there's no uh, real security. There's just, you, you really are just taking your life in your own hands going outside your front door. It really is. I mean, if you have to go to help to from William Hootkins, that's when you're in trouble. I mean, that is kind of um, what uh, Jill, the character, has to do. Is when she can't back, get back into her building, she has to go to um, she has to go to friggin' Hootkins, who then just proceeds to basically keep hinting up like, "Oh, I'm probably going to rape you in a moment." Um, kind of thing and it's like Ugh. yeah because when i first started watching this i was like what the hell is this because it starts very kind of slow and very calm and the movie kind of ramps up in a really nice way to the point where every five minutes you have to try and kill this robot i mean you were sort of saying about the daleks how there's no real way to sort of get at them and you're not really resisting but in this one they are literally killing this thing every five minutes it just keeps coming back it's like why won't you die already <laughs> 
Well, the thing is, is <coughs> it was left in the desert, but even at the very beginning of the film, its hand is moving. Like it was never dead to begin with, no. which is the thing that everybody misses. Yes. Like it plays dead because it realizes it can't do anything in its current state. But once it's left alone, it starts somehow putting itself back together with just random parts, which I wasn't quite too clear on what they were, how they were doing that, but I'm like, oh, whatever, go with it. It's very advanced tech. <laughs> I need to rewatch this again, because I'm wondering if I'm missing things in the background, whether I'm just sort of watching Jill on her day to day or Moses kind of complaining or doing whatever um, Shades is kind of doing that. If I missed kind of the robot in the background, because the first chunk of it is very kind of slow. It's just very kind of, this day-to-day -day of what this world is. Yeah, so you've got this ex-soldier or ex-someone, he's more of a scavenger now, so he brings this thing home, he tries to sell it, trying to get more information on it. And then all of a sudden, when it comes to life, it's like, oh, shit, that he's not even going to pretend. Like, I don't think there's a scene where he, like, tries to be friendly. It's just literally, I'm going to kill everyone that I come across. Yeah, because yeah. um, the, ro the robot head and hand was retrieved by the nomad because uh, it wasn't retrieved by the soldier. It, um, he buys it off of the nomad, whereas the yeah. nomad wanted to sell it to the the other guy, the short yes. guy. Yes. Um, but he buys it and then asks the guy how much it was worth, and he's like, "No, nah, it's not worth more than thirty. But mm. he paid like fifty for mm. it because he wanted a a present for Jill. Mm. So yeah, like he didn't even know where it came from, what it was. So he, he had no hope of realizing how stupid that decision was. Mm. But then at the same time, it, it 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 was a helmet. There was nothing, you know, I can't really say I blame him. It, there, you know, it was it was just looked like a random helmet that you'd find on the side of the street, you know? It it really does. It looks very innocuous. And it's not until Jill starts sort of playing with it and uses it in sculpture that it kind of takes on a form. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm here. And I'm just going to kill everyone. But going back to Moses, I kind of like the fact that he's useless. I mean, he's the character that you start off with. I mean, because it's still McDermott. He has um, top billing in it uh, when it obviously belongs to Stacey uh, Travis. Um, but as soon as he goes up against the robot, he is killed instantly. I mean, it's not like Stacey who's thrown out of windows, um, you know, actually having to constantly try and kill this thing. He goes up against it. He gets he gets stuck with whatever um, thing, uh, uh, poison or drug that he's got that he's giving people, and it's it's just like oh, and he is done. <laughs> it's like oh wow, you are you are completely useless to to um, Stacey. And when she sort of says, "I don't know why I keep letting you in," I'm like going, "Yeah, why do you let him in?" <laughs> yeah, that that's very much a running theme with his entire character. Is mm. you realize like. Like you said, he's an ex-soldier, but you don't know that. He's supposed to be this soldier that comes back every now and then, but actually he's not. He got no. kicked out. Yeah. And the, and he's not particularly nice either. Like nope. it takes a while for it to creep out that he's kind of an asshole. Um it's it's kind of there in the very beginning if you if you look for it. Because mm. Shades, it's pretty obvious to me that Shades also likes Jill. And he's just kind of like doesn't get a hope with uh, Moses around. Mm. But Moses is not particularly supportive. He's not particularly protective. Half the time, I'm not even convinced he has very strong feelings for Jill because when he comes in to save her, he completely ignores her and just concentrates yeah. on killing the machine, which is, I understand yeah. that. Yeah. But what, but once he's like, thinks he's killed it, she has to go to him. Yeah. He doesn't even turn around to look at her, you know? No. 
And there's that moment where it looks like he's about to shoot her. That's how I thought it was going to go. It's like, oh, he puts the gun up. He shoots before he realizes it's still, but it's this really long moment. And then she ducks and then he yeah. shoots, shoots the robot. So if she hadn't ducked, he just would have shot her. And it's, yeah, you realize that he's not, he's kind of the red herring of, oh, this is your hero. Because again, you realize, oh, you think he's this one thing when he, and he's buying a gift for his girl he's about to go see, but it's more the fact that he can get probably a room for a couple of nights before he goes on his travels again. It's not. Wow. Uh, a room and benefits. Exactly. <laughs> Cause that sex scene goes on for a long time. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just this kind of thing where I'm watching it going, Oh, he's a dickhead. He's not. Oh, yep. And now he's knocked off really easily I, I mean jill is thrown out of window and into another apartment i mean she goes through the absolute ringer when it comes to trying to battle this robot and she's just like trying to get out of her house it's not like a kind of like doctor who the stakes are really huge but you don't notice it because of the tone the stakes are really kind of small it's literally she's just trying to get this thing out of her apartment before it kills everyone she's not because her apartment is her safe space. She has, you know, security so she can let anyone in. It's her kind of safety from the rest of the world. And now she's got this thing in there and she's trying to get it out. And it's, yeah, it's a really, I actually really do like this pairing a lot, even though it's not like obvious, but I think there are some like little tentacles of like tone and yeah, how Britain's always goes way hard. These they don't do on a post-apocalypse movies and this kind of thing. And that you realize that even though she's trying to save this little bit of space, it doesn't mean anything in the end, which is really depressing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also love the random cameos because like when they get into the taxi at the beginning, yes. Lemmy driving I, the taxi I and had he to go puts back. like Ace of Spades. <laughs> and I was just like, what? <laughs> I didn't click. And, the... and even with the Ace of Spades, I'm like, wait, Lemmy. Was that the taxi? Yes, it was. Okay, go back and watch the taxi driver. Okay, and then, yeah, of course, Iggy Pop being a DJ or something. <laughs> yeah, he was the radio guy that, that was always talking whenever the, the, the alarm went off and the radio ticked on. He was yeah. Angry Bob. Yeah. And it really, it, it kind of annoyed me because I was like, why does Iggy Pop get such, like, uh, name recognition on the front when he's not even really in it? No. Like, it's just his voice, whereas Lemmy's actually in it. Yes. Like, he doesn't do a lot. But he's at least there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he should get his name there instead. He really should. I mean, because Ace of Spades was a British band. I am remembering that correctly. Well, Ace of Spades is a song, but Motorhead is Motorhead. a British band. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Um, I do actually listen to Motorhead a little bit, so I can't believe I actually got that mixed up. But yeah, it's kind of like you've got more British rock royalty in the cat taxi, and he's kind of the afterthought. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> I know, I know. It, 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 it. I don't understand the the thought process there. I don't get it at all. No, um, especially this was is such a British movie, even though it's set in America, even though they all have American accents, except for John Lynch, who's, um, looking like he's um in the. Oh God, I'm blanking on all the band names. This is Morrissey. Um. Um, one of those early 80s kind of um, not quite punk, but not quite goth bands. Um, it's, yeah. it's, 
yeah, it's kind of this really all over the place. I mean, this movie is really over the place. One minute, I mean, I love the soundtrack to this, actually. When you've got that Western twang and then that noir music and then something else happening, it's... I mean, yeah, I, this movie will change its mind on what kind of genre it is every five minutes, and I do actually like that about it. Yeah, no, I, I made a note that it's like, um, it has the typical space boonie music of the Western guitar, but with the the images of a, a modern, uh, I say modern, a futuristic modern living space. Yes. But it looks like a Western in the middle of nowhere, even though you're actually in a big city, because mm. that's how broken everything's become because they even have like a little like you say in that first bit where it's all very yeah. slow yeah um they have a conversation about how they could just go to space and go to another planet or go on a ship and so it's like earth isn't really cared about is the impression i got that they were trying to imply is earth is just where everybody that can't get off of earth is um which is yeah Runner. like yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um and uh I also love uh, some of the, like you were saying about the music. I love the the song that they reused by Public Image. That was great, and it's just the stuff you don't expect. Like you have that uh, shot where the robot first opens its eyes, and then that goes into the shower head, which goes into Jill having a shower, which goes into the sex scene. Yes, and then at the end of the sex scene, bear in mind we've just said that Moses is the asshole in mm. the relationship. He turns over to Jill and says, God, I love you. And she just responds with, so? And I was <laughs> I just <that>. like, what? <laughs> and then he sort of rolls away like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not what you typically expect, but it fits the world. It does. And you've also got this very intense sex scene. And then you also realize that Hootkins is looking, is spying on them using infrared almost. Um, or he's got little, he's got little holes around the apartment that he can just like spy on her. And he's saying the most disgusting things, which is making the whole thing so sleazy that I'm like, am I in a Fulci movie right now? Is this, am I in suddenly mm-hmm. in, um, New York Ripper? What, 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 what is happening? And yeah, he, ha- he has that massive telescope. Yes. They, he's other stuff is happening that he does. So you can guess, uh, but also they make a point of showing you his apartment and he's got crystal clear photos of her like dressed undressed Mm. everything about her he has but also they show you that he has like shoes and clothes which i'm guessing she's thrown away it's never made it to the trash because he has them and it's like it's it's disgusting it's unnerving you don't want to watch it but i like it because this is what actual obsessive behavior and stalker behavior looks like it's not the clean sanitized version that we get in a lot of films today no it's it's not not a nice thing and this is why it's horrific to go through yeah it is absolutely horrific to go through and i think that is a really good point also i think it adds this extra sheen of slime to the movie which it already has like it does this movie is incredibly sleazy and incredibly awful i mean it's a, it's a beautiful ugly movie i mean it's not pretty to look at even though i think some of the light especially when she's trying to communicate with it and you've got the lights reflecting on her face i think that's a gorgeous yeah. shot but this movie is just so brown everything's dying um and everything like that and then you get the added thing of him basically doing saying the and one contents like suck him dry is fine but when you're actually watching a woman who thinks she's having privacy and having 
sex with a man she's clearly not in love with, but you know, he's there and whatever. Um, it's kind of more disturbed. I don't know. You do. That's why I keep thinking, I'm surprised this could even got made in the seventies. Cause this, I mean the nineties, cause this is such a seventies grimy thing that would, they would do. It's right out of like 1976 at the, at the drive-thru. And that's kind of when, Oh, this is, this is awful. This is disgusting. This is like, okay, just humanity is just, is done. There's, there's no hope <laughs> at all. <laughs> Yeah, and I, 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 I just love how uneasy a lot of the build-up shots do because it, mm. it does the thing that I actually dislike when films do now, but this film manages to do it in a way that works, which is that there's no sound, there's no music. All of a sudden, you're on edge because you're like, oh, God, there's a jump scare coming. What's about to happen? And then a character will start to do something and you're like, yep, something's about to pop out of somewhere mm. and nothing happens, no. but it just cuts to a, a different scene of yeah. just someone doing something completely normal. And every single time I jumped and I'm like, I hate that because normally it doesn't work because you know it's coming, but yeah. because they don't do that fake out of like, oh, it's a cat. Oh, it was just someone with a torch. It's yeah. like, nope, we're just going to cut to yeah. something completely normal. You're like, what, 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 what? And it just really messes with your head, you know? It's the everyday is awful. There is no, that's kind of what I loved. I mean, I was almost going to choose Robocop as a trailer because there's this really fascinating, because um, you don't, except for a couple of shots at the beginning and right at the end, you don't get a sense of what is actually happening in the outside world, except for the Iggy Pop and um, ads and kind of think she's watching on television. So you, you get the announcements of like, hey, we've got a whole great sterilize, sterilization program. Come in come in, and, you know, get your tubes or, you know, dick tied. And um, all these kind of, like, right at the end, the, that is very, very chilling because you realise, oh, this was just a government thing. They're just going to, they've just decided they're just going to kill all the people on the on Earth. They're like, they're done. It's not even, um, they're not even really going to try and hide it anymore. But get your lazy asses and get a job, um, even though there is literally no work. Like, even... Yeah. Um, uh, Moses keeps complaining is like why don't you like make some art that you can actually sell you know make some money and she's like don't tell me which fair enough it's like don't tell me what to do don't make me feel bad about my art um it's yeah it's a kind of it's this really kind of fascinating thing and a, Robocop may be more successful at this only because it's goddamn Robocop but um it really sort of sets up the world really well without you having to go outside and look around like you know that everyone and in, in who is living in this space is fucked i also think that was the specialty of the director though paul verhoven is that verhoven then yeah paul verhoven yeah um because i feel like uh he did that with almost every film he made around that time like starship yes. troopers as well and the other one that my brain is oh total recall Total Recall, yeah. it was Total Recall. I, I was going to say that, and I thought, no, 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 that wasn't him, but it was him. But yeah, yeah, all three of those films are totally different, but they all feel like they, they you know the world in the short, brief glimpses you get of it. And I think you kind of get that here, but like you said, nowhere near as well, mm. because I think once, I think the point they wanted to make is, she just basically lives in her apartment mm. and that's as much of the world as she's kind of interested in mm. aside from what you hear on the news. And I feel like it's it's interesting because when this film was made, the internet didn't really exist in, especially not how it does now. No. Um, and we didn't have the way of communicating like we do now. 
And so being stuck in your apartment was extremely isolating, but no one could have really related to that, except since then, we have all experienced living (laughs) inside, being unable to do much else. That it's kind of weird to make that connection now, some 30 years after this film was made. Exactly. That would have been a very odd concept to people pre-2020. And now we're just like, oh yeah, no, I get what that's like. Like you're stuck inside and all you're getting is snippets on the news. And of course we have the internet, which helped and hurt at the same time. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's absolutely fascinating. Though, tangent, Paul Verhoeven also did that exact thing with his latest movie, Bernadetta, which is set in like the 1700s in um, Italy. But he does it through fantasies because it's about this woman who think who's um, you either she is an actual prophet or she's pretending to be like a mystic prophet and having like conversations with Jesus and all that kind of thing. But she keeps having these weird romantic um, cover, like the um, like a Mills and Boone esque kind of fantasies about Jesus. <laughs> but it kind of works. It, it kind of works the same way as the um, I'll buy that for a dollar on um, in RoboCop or the sign up for the army ads, you know, the only good dead, the only good bug is a dead bug in, in um, Starship Troopers. It has the exact same kind of effect is that you can kind of tell the world a little bit outside, even though it's all in her head and it involves Jesus killing a whole bunch of soldiers. Um, And, but it does have that same effect of like, Oh, this is how people see the world. This is kind of, it's a very screwed up thing of not what the world is, but that's what they think it is. It, it works the exact same way. And I thought it was fascinating. Then you said, yeah, he's done it through all his movies. I'm like, oh yeah, he has too. He really has. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing as well that, that really dates that, sorry, the only mm-hmm. thing that, that kind of dates this movie for me and it, it made it genuinely made me laugh out loud is you have this amazing sequence of the robot putting itself back together yeah. after Moses leaves the apartment. I really like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't actually know if that hasn't been messed with because it looks so good. I'm I'm really curious to know if that has been played with since mm. 1990. Um, because if not, that's that's some of the best stop motion puppetry guy in a suit I've ever seen. Um, of it reassembling itself. But directly after that, you have the the, the scene where Moses realizes that there's a Mark 13 sat at his house with his uh girlfriend in inverted commas and it's a great sequence anyway because you see the guy get killed and and the paper goes over his face and then his eyes move yeah um which is just creepy it is really creepy yeah he has to try and uh call her and the technology is like video phones and you've got this great like analog digital blends of how the tech works but to call her he has to get some change out of his pocket and put it in the machine and i thought oh my god that is the single most dated thing in this entire film. You show that to someone born after a certain year and they will not understand that at all. <laughs> oh my God. It made me nostalgic actually. I'm like, oh, remember those days when you actually had to have change in your pocket to call someone um, if you were using a payphone? Like I recently saw a movie that's set in 99 and it's the same thing. This girl kind of just wakes up on a beach, has to get change from someone to go on a payphone, doesn't know where she is. And because they're teenagers, she has to get her friend to like somehow go to someone else's house so they can call the brother so the mother doesn't know it. I was like, but no one can, but everyone's engaged because of dial-up. And I was like, oh my God, this, I was, I know what this is. Like explaining to someone that process, they just, the kids just look at me and go, but you'd have, I'm like, no, we did not have mobile, mobile phones. We had to literally go to someone else's house, get them to call 
someone else if we didn't want our parents to know what was happening. There was work involved. <laughs> yep. I've said this uh, before to a few people. There are so many films that the entire plot would not happen if any of the characters had a mobile phone. Yes. <laughs> and it's so funny when you go back and rewatch stuff, how much of the, especially horror films yes. or, or scary films, yeah. it's like most of it is caused by the fact that they can't communicate, they can't get help. But if you had a smartphone in your pocket, oh, oh. problem solved. <laughs> would never have happened. All the amount of new movies where all of a sudden it's like, I have no service. I'm like, ah. <laughs> It's yeah, because like, it's yeah. the only way they can get around the problem. Yeah. And it just makes me chuckle. It's the same as like being stuck somewhere that's pitch black. Well, I got a torch on my phone. I'm good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but that is the one that, I mean, this is actually a really good futuristic world because it does have this really cool an mix of analog and video phone. And I, even as a kid, I thought we were never going to have video phones. That, that's the Jetsons. Um, now I'm looking at you on a screen in you're in britain i'm in australia so well that happened um but you're right the fact that he has to get changed to call her there are certain things in older movies that they'll never get away from because things like contracts or plans or minutes haven't been invented yet on your smartphone on your video um call and it's all that i love that stuff so much i'm just like oh look at that they guess in the future but it's not quite there yet um but going back to the robot i really love his design and i loved how he moved i know he's very strategically filmed from certain shots so you don't necessarily see all of him at the same time very rarely or all of it yeah. at the same time but from what you do see he's he's actually really terrifying um because my weird movie clock i'm like oh okay he's up and about she's gonna kill him and that's the end of the movie. But of course, then you find out, no, you're only halfway through the movie and Paul Jill has got to kill him at least six more times. Um, but it's a really cool design and I like how it constantly changes how it moves. It's almost Transformer-like in a way without the actual transforming. Yeah, yeah. It's it's trying to adapt to what it thinks it needs to do in order to kill her. Yeah. Because um, it starts off crawling around and then it... it decides to stand up and when it stands up it's bloody huge yeah um because when you do see a, a full shot of it it kind of hammers home like how massive it is in comparison to jill at least yeah i mean it completely dwarfs her in every aspect mm. and i also have to question who designed certain aspects of it because it's got a circular saw on its back it's got those massive claw hands mm. but the bit that I don't know if if I was alone. Maybe you'll tell me that you you thought the same thing. But how it chose to use the drill, um, and where it was located on its body, and the fact that it seemed to only use the drill on Jill, and how it's like, hmm, I feel like someone was trying to say something with this uh, particular design. <laughs> I think he was. Like I sort of connected it straight away to the whole um, humans. They want humans on Earth to be infertile thing. Um, so I was like, wait, is that going to, is that what the robot does? It's like, they got sent to houses to actually, um, like a rape a woman to death. So she wouldn't, I don't know. I think I was reading too much into it, but yeah, that is a very large dick. And I, it, I do not want it coming near me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I also really like the fact that, um, the obvious solution was to call shades to go and help her. 
but he's so high that he can barely stand up. And I thought that was hilarious because it, it solved the problem of why isn't someone coming to help her straight away. Yeah. Um, and it and it was just funny because that was something else is um, you know, the film has these really silent moments that make you really unnerved, and then it has one of those cuts that makes me jump. But then they would play like a heavy metal soundtrack or heavy rock soundtrack whilst other stuff is happening. And I feel like that's something that especially nowadays people can relate to because I think people do that. I think there's a lot of people that don't like silence. And so they'll if they're going to do something, they'll always have music in the background. And Jill was kind of like that. Like, yeah, yeah her, her apartment was her safe space in inverted commas. Mm. But she didn't, she felt unnerved. And obviously, we, reality, it's because mm. A, she was being watched by a creepy guy. And yes. B, she had a killer robot right behind her. Yes. So she had good reasons to be unnerved. But I feel like the the way that they juxtapose the silence with the heavy metal and then while she's getting almost horrifically killed we're watching a funny scene of shades falling over because he's too high to stand up yeah it's like it's <laughs> it, it can feel a bit random which is what i think critics thought of it at the time but for me it worked mm, no it really does i mean i can see why critics didn't love it because it is a very ugly film to watch you are not oh, yes. i mean the movie's trying to repulse you at every minute and yes we're talking about the creepy guy who um just keeps throwing um things at her that she just doesn't want and he's literally watching her every single movement like this woman has no privacy and then um all of a sudden you just get these browns and things and the robot's really disjointed as you're saying it's got the slur on the back it's got the phallic thing it's got um these kind of large hands and it's the way it kind of leans up over people when you're sort of like oh shit it's behind you like it's kind of it's got all that it's yeah. not it's it's got a very elongated neck that makes it sort of stick out and look imposing yes yeah it really does and it's so I can tell people sort of watching this and going, oh, why am I, why am I wanting to be in this world? And what I do really appreciate about this movie is um, the fact that there is no light at the end of this tunnel. It goes, oh no, this world is sucks. This world, um, even with the new um, Dread movie, you get hope at the end, even though this is a world that is tough. You've got kind of fascist policemen just deciding whether you're guilty or not, like, in, in kind of one minute there is but that movie kind of gives you sort of hope um doctor who will always give you hope because doctor who's going to solve everything and you're going to be the world is going the timeline's going to be right um yeah. this movie it's they kind of opens the blind for the first time and they kind of see the city and it's like oh it's actually really pretty then she gets pulled out of it and then it's just this con the, I could kind of see people criticizing this movie for having too many endings because every time you think you're safe, like, oh, okay, that's it. That would have killed the robot. Okay, we're done. Nope. She's pulled out of the window. Then um, something else happens. And then she's back in the apartment. Uh, Moe's dead. And then it kills some other people with those um, poor guy. <laughs> poor guy got trapped in the door. Um, it's all this kind of stuff. And then even when in the shower, when... It feel, okay, I'm like, that motherfucker's going to stand up again, isn't he? This isn't over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, that guy that got killed in the door also gives a, a line of dialogue beforehand that I knew was going to come back, and I, I almost missed it. Mm. And I feel like a lot of people did as well. But he makes a point of saying when he's playing chess with the kid that the way you beat a computer is the same way that he beat him and he says the name of the maneuver which is unimportant but mm. he says machines don't understand sacrifice 
So they'll never understand how you beat them here. Mm. And of course, the the way in which the, the machine does eventually get killed is the guy, as much of an asshole as he is, with his dying breath, mm. kind of manages to blur out the fact that what his weakness is. And then the machine is stupid enough to play that dialogue back to Jill. Yes. It doesn't understand what that it's basically telling her its weakness. Yeah. And I almost missed that, the fact that that callback I, was paid off. I think I did miss that because I know, um, I think I did miss that or I didn't put two and two together because I was sort of going, oh, I like how the robot's communicating. It's not its own voice. It's a collection of voices that it's collected throughout its yeah. time. So it's just kind of doing that really cool thing of um, like, bumblebee and transformers that's probably not the, there's an excuse a thing i can th- um thing i can think of when it plays songs to sort of tell you what mood he's in this is just doing the same thing it's just throwing all these voices back and i completely forgot that he told her what the weakness is <laughs> and, and he doesn't understand the sacrifice for the mood and she like okay gotta get him in the shower and um well he technically throws her in the shower but it is <laughs> <gasps> yeah that that whole sequence where dylan mcdermott's character is kind of having like visions mm. and they're kind of so i might be reading too much into this but i think it was by design but i don't think that it worked the way they intended mm. but he makes his own callback to the fact that he was dreaming that it was raining and then the robot starts speaking in his voice yes and then they kill it with water mm. and the last thing the robot sees from its point of view is mm. it's raining Yes. And I was really confused by all of that, by what they were implying, which yeah. I think was by design, but that really just kind of felt like, the, I think they were just reaching for too much like um, references because obviously his name was Moses. He was reading from the Bible. They were reading out these verses. Yeah. The film starts with a Bible verse and I'm like, okay, I think you've gone way too far now. It's, this isn't going to work and it doesn't. No. And it, or, or maybe there was stuff that was cut. I don't know. But all of that just feels totally pointless no it it does that this movie wants to have so many ideas but i don't think it conveys everything and i know it's a movie that i feel like i should have watched twice for this conversation because i know i'm missing stuff but i think that's because it wants to have so many ideas like piled on like the religious references the technology references the government references the advertising just it's kind of a sensory overload a little bit where they could have just um they should have paired maybe paired a lot of it back a little bit yeah. so you can just have your core main ideas and then you can just go with it because when it is literally robot in apartment murdering people that is when i thought okay this movie's starting to sing a little bit like it's taken a little bit of time to work up i kind of warming up to slowly all right robot in the apartment yep i get it you let's go and through that you can convey a few ideas because robots are the best metaphor for humanity in general so but i think there was a wanting to this movie because oh we need to talk about religion we need to talk about this genocide all this and it's like okay now it's getting a little muddled muddled and because this movie is so brown it's easy just to kind of like when peter cushing is going on a five minute dialogue thing about something my my brain just goes "Mm," a little bit but that's because i think the movie is a little bit overstuffed in terms of that yeah and and the annoying thing is i think it could have pulled off one of them yes but it needed to pick which one it wanted to do did it want to have this weird religious overtone of, does the robot have a soul is it yes. alive which i think it is and i'll get to why in a second mm. but um or or it needed to have these sort of propaganda 
radio things about how the world is not going great. You know, mm. we're going to sterilize everyone. The robots are coming. Don't worry. They'll protect and save everyone when in reality, that's not what they're going to do. Because no. she figures it, Jill figures it out way earlier than the film lets the audience know. Yes. And yeah. she starts ranting about the fact that it's what's going to help. You know, this is the government's plan, but yeah. they can't tell the difference between the enemy because they never actually say what the war is no um and what is uh you know what it's supposed to protect and it's yeah. like no that's by design that ain't that isn't a mistake no because it won't it won't answer her when she says what is your mission what is your prime directive yeah. for a robocop reference mm. i don't think it knows that's that's half the problem it mm. just knows to kill yeah um but the bit that i found so scary at the end which uh, is when the news report says that the Mark 13s are going to go into mass production, yeah. it's going to give 800 new jobs, they don't call it a robot. They call no. it a cyborg. They do, yeah. <laughs> which makes me go, oh my God, that thing was alive. Some part of it, if they actually understood what a cyborg is, which yeah. is also another thought I had that they just didn't give a shit. Yeah. But if that was genuinely what they meant, then that means that it was alive and there was a person in there controlling it yeah no it's it's that is an interesting point because i sort of took it as when because difference to how they don't call robots robots they now call it ai which are two very i do realize technically they are two very different things i don't understand it but i kind of do but they'll use different terms to make sure that if you say robot you think oh um, I'm going to think the Terminator. I'm going to think something scary that's going to out to kill us, not something else. If you call it something else, then it sounds okay. Like, come and build cyborgs. It's it's fine. They're not going. A cyborg isn't going to kill you. A robot will, but a cyborg won't. But I think the movie does want you to question whether this thing is alive or not. Um, I just think it gets buried under the other six things that this movie is trying to do as well. Um, and yeah. I <laughs> I, I think the problem is, is that so much media has confused the difference between what is a cyborg versus what is a robot. Because yes. You said the Terminator, and they're a great example of confusing them because technically all Terminators have the ability to learn and get better and become sentient, which mm. makes them alive, but they're still synthetic life forms they might have human skin on top of their metal frames yes. but there's still machines underneath yeah a cyborg is a human that has metal or augmented parts added to it yes so you have to have a human brain mm. which is the bit that i think it it could have some human brain elements in it because all we started off with was was a helmet i mm. don't see how a brain could fit in there no. but sci-fi can do crazy things you yes. can transfer the consciousness of someone into a robot mm. and is that a cyborg because you know there's lots of films that have asked that question at what point do you class something as alive exactly but like you said this mm. isn't really the film to have that conversation <laughs> no one, I, one... <laughs> I wish i picked a no. lane <laughs> yeah but one thing I, I i did notice going back to creepy guy and i'd I don't know if, again, I'm reading too much into this. So the creepy guy doesn't exist in the original comic. The original comic's like six pages long. Yeah. Like most of this stuff doesn't exist. Um, mm. The Her getting into the fridge to escape the infrared does. Yeah. Um, ah, that's all from yeah. the comic. Um, 
but the creepy guy doesn't exist at all. His last name is Weinberg. Mm-hmm. He's a big, tall, fat guy that preys on women. And this fa- one of the film's producers was Harvey Weinstein. Here's the thing. I think I, I think that was an in-joke on set. I think because anyone who had to react to, um, well, they had to interact with Stanley and um, uh, friggin' Weinstein, but Weinstein was maybe a bit more overt outwardly about it that I think that just becomes an in-joke on set and it creeps into the movie. And then when you watch it now, knowing what you do now, then you're just kind of like going, huh. <laughs> I wonder if that was a, like, um, I've always said, Scream 3 wasn't, Scream 3 aged really well purely by accident because of what the movie is about and clearly who also made the movie, not understanding the irony that it's about him. Um, whether subconsciously or consciously. And you're right. It is, I think that did creep into a lot of movies because people had to put up with this bullshit. And it probably, yeah, we'll change the name to this as a little in-joke that we'll only get that the three people who did it got. And now everyone knows and we're just like going, oh yeah, nah, nah, I see that. I see that. That, <laughs> might, that might not be the case. I just like to think of this. That is because how now I watch movies that have been made by Miramax or distributed by Miramax, I should say. And I'm like, ah, I think there's a little, there's an in thing going on when people are referencing that he's a slob and awful to work with and predatory. And it sometimes creeps into the movie as a little like the Disney animators writing sex above Simba and the cloud or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, no, I, I know what you mean, mm. but yeah. Um, so that was Hardware, a really horrible, horrific, yeah. ugly film that I thoroughly loved and would watch again. <laughs> Me too. It's kind of weird. Sometimes you just watch these movies that are absolutely horrific and I'm like going, yeah, would watch again. That was kind of fun. Um, but this was actually a really great double because of just the differing tones. Like you have this way more wholesome <laughs> Doctor Who because it's, and then you just get into this absolute sleaze, grimy thing of hardware. And it was such a, this was such a great double. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> That's all right. Thank you for inviting me. It was yeah. really enjoyable. And I liked talking about films that weren't just about action. Yeah. You get opportunity because you, you're a big action guy who knows a lot, but also you know many other things. Like I'm still waiting for that manga episode where there's a because there's definitely manga action movies out there. <laughs> um, there, there, there are a few. Uh, I will. I probably will avoid them because uh, a lot of them I don't like, and, I, <laughs> and I'm trying to to not get go down the rabbit hole of covering stuff that I don't like because. Yeah. You know, enough people do that already. Yeah. With just basically raging and hating. And I can do that. I can e- easily do that. And I'd be lying if I said I don't watch people that do do that. Mm. But I'm trying to not make the show just that. There there are times when I will. And there are episodes I've already done where, where I flat out said I didn't mm. enjoy this. Here's why. But um, yeah, a lot of live action anime stuff is not great. There are exceptions, though, and I would like to try and highlight them. Mm. The obvious one that springs to mind, because there's like five of them now, is the Rurouni Kenshin films, and they're amazing. Yeah. No, they they, they are. Um, no, I do like the fact that you're very just honest. Like, if you um, watch a movie and you're just like, yeah, it was fine. I know that was Hydra was one, that big end cop shop. I think you're just a bit like, yeah, yeah that was, yeah, so... You generally want to talk about movies that you enjoy, but you're not afraid of sort of saying, actually, this didn't make sense. What's going on with this? 
then you yeah that's why i think actionetics is a, is a is a great thing it's not just praise but it's not just people taking the piss out of things either yeah yeah no i, I, I yeah that's that's what i want to try and do like sometimes it's real easy to fall too far down one side and it, it takes sometimes not posting an episode to sort of go i'm just queuing up a bunch of stuff i already know i don't like and I'm just going in to hate on it. And mm. then at the same time, I don't want to have a bunch of episodes that I know I'm just going to really love, but I kind of need to, I want to talk about stuff more specifically. So I try to find a guest that has never seen it, mm. maybe has a different opinion to me, or, or or can at least remember the details about the things I want to talk about. Yeah, I did one that will will be coming out soon where I wanted the people that were on the show to not particularly like what we were going to talk about. Mm. And irritatingly, they actually both loved it. <laughs> so I had to be the one to point out all the negative stuff. And I sound like I hate the thing, but I actually don't. <laughs> and I kind of I have to like give a disclaimer. I actually like this film, yeah. but I have to be the bad guy to point out all the yes. crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's what I enjoy about it, because there is definitely a back and forth. Um, so please, people, if you, um, you probably have listened to Action Addicts if you listen to this, but I do would definitely give it a great recommend because it is a really fun and fascinating show. Um, speaking of which, please tell people where they can find your good work. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, a really awkward name of Psychogold Gaming, which doesn't have a G at the end of it. Mm. Uh, I'm going to try and change that to just Psychogold to make it easier mm. for everybody. Uh, but you can find the podcast under Addicts Action because someone else had already taken Action mm. Addicts, which really annoyed me. But um, How rude. yeah, that's currently all we're on. Yeah, no, please uh, follow and um, listen. And time this comes out, you might, you probably will be married, but good luck with your nuptials um, coming you very up. Much. Um, and congratulations. And um, yeah, thanks for so much coming on. This was an absolute um, blast and a really, really fun double. Uh, considering this was both first time watches for me. Um, and yeah, we will be back next week with another double feature. All right. Thanks guys. Bye. Yeah.